millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. Naturalhempoil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. Visit naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. Talk to enough people, and you'll soon realize nearly everyone's shocked at their recent electricity bills. Some studies reveal energy costs have skyrocketed by as high as 60% in as little as two years. That's why tens of thousands are installing this magical little device from SavePowerBills.com to help slash their energy bills. This sophisticated gadget stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your appliances and electronics. Simply plug it into your home wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this device is one of the most efficient ways to save money while beating the greedy power companies. But there's more. If you order now, you'll also receive 65% off, fast shipping within the USA, hassle-free returns, and last but not least, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee. Just go to SavePowerBills.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's SavePowerBills.com. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Just recently, a politician was carjacked by three armed attackers outside his home in Washington, D.C. This comes several months after another politician was assaulted in the elevator of her building. Between mass shootings, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjackings, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight has awed people with a wonderful design and massive light output. On top of an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, it boasts powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope cutter, siren, and much more. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this flashlight is the latest and greatest in the EDC market. But there's more. If you place your order for the Fighter Flare flashlight now, you'll also receive 66% off, free express shipping, and last but not least, a 100% lifetime guaranteed replacement. Simply go to www.fighterflare.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. www.fighterflare.com. Order now. Something wicked is coming this way, and only fools are ignoring the signs. So it's time you became a financial prepper like thousands of others. Gold can travel anywhere. It's international. It's its own currency. Allocate to gold now, the timeless safe haven asset. Open an IRA with noble gold investments to physically hold coins and bars and let real, tangible gold, not just paper, save your portfolio as the economy burns again. Right now, Noble Gold Investments offers a free 3-ounce silver American virtue coin with every qualified IRA. Just use the promo code GOLD to claim your free coin and secure your family's financial future. 
future. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com. Now, noblegoldinvestments.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Investing in precious metals, including gold, involves risks. Consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision. Right, ladies and gentlemen, I had to <laughs> delete the first show and start this back over because apparently I was talking for like 10 minutes with no audio. So I think I fixed it. Hopefully you guys can hear me now. And we are live. Okay, so we got a hearing going on in Arizona. And we are, we're going to hear some presentations from both Liz Harris and the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Seth Keschel. I know very little about what we're going to hear today, but I heard it's going to be big. Okay, so... uh I want to temper your expectations and not fill you with too much hopium because I don't know what's going to be said here, but I have been told it's going to be big and that the media is going to cover it. So, of course, we're live streaming this. Now, uh, we have Carrie Lake's case still ongoing in Arizona, but we know that the appeals court reaffirmed Judge Thompson, the trial court judge's decision to dismiss it. So at this point in time, do I have a lot of faith in the Arizona Supreme Court to overturn the obviously botched and rigged election in Maricopa County and the state of Arizona? No, not really. Uh, uh, but what we have here is a Republican legislature uh, about to hear all of the problems and all the facts, which they can then obviously take and attempt to tighten up election security in Arizona uh, on the basis of the evidence that's presented. But here's the problem with that. You have Katie Hobbs, the governor, who's going to veto all that. So here's here's my statement to the people of Arizona. While a lot of people are just jaded and a lot of people are disenfranchised, at this point in time, what I think the best effort, that the, the best chance of success people have in Arizona is not to wait on the courts, but to get involved in this effort that is being prepared now to recall get a recall election of Katie Hobbs to have her removed from office. Um, because as long as she's sitting in that governor mansion, you know, the, the, the legislation that the, the house Republicans and, uh, the, the Arizona Senate pass is not going to be signed and it's not going to go into law before 2024. Good morning, Suzette. Good morning, Susan63. Now, before this starts, I want to remind everybody that my wife and I are going on vacation all next week, and so I am not going to be posting on here. I told you guys that last live stream. I want to make sure everybody's aware not to look for a show at all next week. We're going to take a much-needed vacation, and I just I can't freaking wait. Honestly, my head's already there, you know? It, it, I'm just already on vacation in my mind, so I, I just really need to... Rest, recharge, relax, and come back. We're going to be back on March 4th, and I'm going to be ready to kick Klaus Schwab's ass and Joe Biden. Kick him to the curb, baby. Yes, I'm married. You didn't know? France said I'm, I'm very married, okay? We have a child together. I thought, I thought everybody knew that. Yes, the sound works. Excellent. Roy is here. While I'm gone, everybody, make sure to keep an eye on Roy. Uh, keep him out of trouble. Make sure he's not making any more sock puppet videos. And, uh, yeah. So just, you know, I'm going to have to appoint some moderators in my Telegram chat while I'm gone. Keep an eye on Roy. Yes, Susan, thank you for sharing this broadcast. Uh, the rest of you guys, if you could, share this broadcast out. Because, again, I was told by Mr. Seth Keschel, the man, the myth, the legend himself, the only man in the world that's actually taller than me, that this is going to be big. Okay, so uh, 
We have Liz Harris. Her presentation is titled The People Speak. Okay, so we're going to have testimonial highlights by, and remember, we're not just talking about Liz Harris, the canvasser. We're not talking about Liz Harris, the election integrity activist. We are now talking about duly elected representative Liz, Liz Harris giving a presentation before the joint election um, House Municipal Oversight, whatever. It's the longest name on planet Earth. But the committee, okay? And we also have Mr. Seth Keschel. Now, the, um, looking at the the minutes, the, it appears that we're going to get a statistical overview of Arizona elections since 1948 from Seth Keschel with a special focus on 2018, 2020, and the 2020 election cycle. Okay. So that's all I know. That's that's the gist of it. Um, you know, I, I think whatever Seth is going to present today, he's keeping it under wraps. He is not even telling close friends and allies exactly what's going to be presented. So I'm I'm actually very interested and very excited here. Now uh <laughs> Susan says the man, the myth, the legend. And if I'm not mistaken, Seth is not married. Well, Mr. Seth is a man, he is a myth, and he is a legend. That's for sure. And we support him, okay? We support Mr. Seth Keschel and all of his valiant efforts to expose the rigged elections in this country. And uh, I think some other people are live streaming this as well. So, you know, you guys have options out there, and you chose the wealth pack, baby. You chose me, and I'm honored, and I'm I'm very grateful for all of you guys that are here. Now, if you could smash that rumble button, and I think we're going to be taking off here in a second. So, of course, I'm going to plug a couple sponsors here, guys. Make sure to go to MyPillow.com, enter promo code Nick, and save a ton of money on your MyPillow 2.0. If you don't got a MyPillow 2.0, you probably... Losing sleep. You're out here fighting communism every day, fighting all this corruption, and it's exhausting. But at night, you toss and turn. You know, you're just up late at night envisioning Joe Biden falling up the stairs and thinking how he's falling apart. And you need a good night's The Joint Committee the best way to do that on elections with the Arizona Senate and the Arizona House save a ton of order. Uh, all right, so this thing's getting fired up. We do not need the uh, final member. Since we're not voting on bills, so we will proceed. I am going to uh, step out phones, here. Please, everybody. I'll be in the chat. Make sure to click and the like I will, button. Um, segue over. To All right. Toodaloo. Acting Vice Chair Representative Colladin. Oh, first we're going to call the roll. Is that correct? Yeah. Secretary, please call the roll. Present. 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 Here. Present. Here. Uh, Representative Colladin standing in for uh, our chair. Um, 
Okay, so uh, we will proceed with uh, my colleague, Senator Borelli. Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. Members, I'd like to bring up our first presenter, Mr. Eric Specken. Staff, help him with that. Uh, and, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We got a presentation from Eric Spakine, world-renowned paper expert. Yes. This is going to be good. Okay, guys. Now, think, now things just got way, way better. Oh, my God. I've covered a lot of the work on uh, Eric Spakine. All Spakin. right, Mr. Speckin, would you please uh, state your name and background before you commence your presentation? Sure. My name is Eric uh, Spikine, is how the last name, but I answered everything. So <laughs> okay, and make sure the mic is very close to your uh, mouth if you need to raise the table more. He just gave a presentation of the findings in uh, Allegheny yes. County, okay. Pennsylvania, so found 50,000 duplicate ballots in Pennsylvania just recently. Uh, I've been examining documents and related issues to documents such as computers, fingerprints, and things like that uh, for nearly 30 years now. Uh I work at a private consulting firm. I work in our Fort Lauderdale office. Our main office is based in Michigan. I've examined election cases since the early, well, probably the mid to late 1990s uh, and continuously since then. I've examined from Scantron ballots to regular ballots to voting systems, computers, data, uh, all the things associated with counting and determining outcomes. Um, I've been trained in the examination of question documents uh, in 1993 to 1995 by my father, Leonard Spikine. He's the retired chief document analyst for the Michigan State Police. And then a one-year training program dealing with paper and ink with Richard Burnell. He's the retired deputy director of the National ATF Laboratory, uh, and that was from 95 to 96. I've been in private practice since for the same firm. And this is what I do every day, documents, inks, and related data associated with that. But that's a quick background summary. I'm happy to answer further questions, but uh, that's a um, quick summary. No, Mr. Spikini, you're, you're now free to begin your presentation. So um, <clears throat> I examined, uh, as I said, uh, ballots throughout my career. I was contacted when the audit was going on here in Maricopa County and asked to provide assistance to look at the ballots, documents, inks, printing processes, CPS codes, which is a counterfeit protection system on color copiers and color printed documents that can determine when a document was printed and where it was printed. Um, when I arrived, I wasn't able to examine the actual ballots. That part of the process was already over here. I was only able to examine photographs that were taken uh, to determine anything that I could. So I noticed that many of the ballots did have a CPS code, but the photographs were not of sufficient uh, quality and zoomed in to the correct areas to determine exactly what the CPS code said. So I'm able to determine that there are a series of yellow dots making up a CPS code. I just can't determine from the photographs what it is. The CPS code is still there on the ballots. This is from the 2020 election. Uh, I haven't been provided the piece of the paper to look at that. So that's one part that exists. We just don't know what it says. The second part of the examination was to look at the data spread. And I found that there were 
uh, 61 groups of ballots. So the ballots are typically sorted into groups of 200 for check and balance purposes, the way they're scanned, you know, the numbers line up, things like that. And that's common. Sometimes it's to 50, sometimes it's to 200. And I found that there were 61 groups of 200 that had over 90% for one candidate, which is a little unusual in a race that's very close in a 50-50 or a 60-40 race. You wouldn't normally find that unless it was by geographical area. In other words, there could be one geographical pocket that could have a higher percentage. But this was in the mail-in collection center. So all the mail-in ballots and the early voting ballots came back to a central collection center, and they were mixed up. So in these groups of 200, it wasn't specific to any one geographical area, precinct, district, neighborhood, anything like that. So 61 that had over 90% for one candidate. But more amazing to me was that there were 58 for one candidate and three for another that had 90%. That is a pretty good indication that someone had sorted ballots ahead of time to get them into these piles. Why or what the purpose is, I have no idea. But you wouldn't normally find that sort of distribution of a high percentage for one candidate. And if you did, you should find roughly the same for each candidate, right? So if there's 60 piles of 200 and they all have 90%, you'd expect 30-30 or something like that. But it might be 25-35. I, I can get that there's going to be statistical anomalies. But 58 to 3 is really strange. The other finding here was that we had 20, approximately 25,000 ballots that were not created from the PDF that is used for the election process. So in other words, <clears throat> the election provider comes up with ballots and it's specific to a geographical area because the person that lives in this neighborhood might not be voting for the same people that live in that neighborhood or, or another neighborhood. So here in Maricopa County, from memory, you had 5,012 or something like that, just over 5,000 different permutations and combinations to the ballots. Then that's multiplied by two because there's a Spanish version that's available for each one of these ballots. But it's the same ballot with the same people, just in a different language. So we've got five, we'll just say 5,000 different ballots for now uh, that are created ahead of time. And those are created in PDF. Now, the big reason why is that you have a third party send out mail-in ballots. So those have to be created in advance. And second, for your early voting, you have vote on demand. So in other words, even if I live way out in the corner of the county, but I work downtown, I could go to something downtown that could print my ballot from my area and I could vote here. It's convenient. A lot of people do that. It's, it's a great system. So these PDFs are created in advance. They're obviously good quality PDFs. And when they're printed, they should look roughly or exactly the same. In this group of ballots, I find that the quality is severely degraded from what a PDF would be as if printed on demand or if printed by your uh, third-party provider who prints these all the time. But what's more strange is it's not just that the ballots are not printed well or degraded. It's that they all have the same defects and came from the same source. So, in other words, if you have, and I, and I have my report that I can show you, and I, I'm happy to, to give it to you because I brought a copy, uh, with the graphics in it. And if we go to page three of the report, 
I have a couple examples of the circles where where you fill in right for the candidate, and there's breaks in the line. So what I did is I took on the computer screen, I took an acetate overlay like my professors in college and teachers in high school used to put on the projector, right? And you could write on it. So I took one of those acetates, I put it on the computer screen, and I marked with a Sharpie where the breaks in the line were, right, in the circle. And then I moved it to the next ballot, and I, you can see that the breaks in the line are in exactly the same place. So it's not a function of a poor printing like the ink didn't go on the ballot correctly or it was a printer that was running out of ink or something like that. The process and the image is being degraded over time, either through multiple copies, scans, something like that, and it's in exactly the same place. So these came from the same source. And I've got a series of four different uh, ones showing that. This on the fifth or the sixth page shows what the actual circle looks like on regular ballots. So it's perfectly intact. It's what you'd expect from a high-quality print. And what we all see when we get our ballots, that's, that's what we uh, expect. I've also got the locations of where these uh, anomalous ballots came from, uh, as labeled by pallet and box, which is where they were photographed from. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to leave this here with you. Um, and it, uh, in the sense of a picture's worth a thousand words, it's maybe a little easier to understand if you have that um, to see. This, the second part is on... Do I give that to you? Okay. Um, and we'll have that distributed to the uh, members. I'm, I'm sorry, I only brought one copy. No, but... we'll make copies and we'll enter that into the record. Thank you, sir. Okay, no problem. Thank you. So the the other issue is on what what could happen. So when, when you have these, what does it all mean? That's what I'm asked most frequently by clients and people and everything. What does it all mean? Well, when you have a scanner or a tabulator that's a machine, but it's run by software. So software is telling it what to do, how to interpret it, and what to get. So the the thumbing portion of it that makes the ballots go through, that's the machine, which is like when you go to the bank and it counts the bills for you, the thumbing portion that runs it through, that's, that's a machine. But what it does and how it reads it is driven by computers and software and inputs. So I've looked at other areas in the country, and I've been given permission by some of the places to, to discuss what I saw there as to what might be an explanation for these things. So in Allegheny County, which is, which is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I found that there were hundreds of ballots that were scanned multiple times. So we've got the exact same ballot that's counted multiple times. It's run through the scanner and counted over and over. I also have, it's very similar to what is seen in Maricopa County, I have 17,000 roughly, maybe 16,000 images that are of a degraded quality. In other words, the scans are poor and like this. And, and I have images to show as well Again, so in the pictures worth a thousand words uh, category. So I have, this is what the image is. This is what a good scan looks like, which is a high quality. It's legible. You can read it and so on. 
And then you can see what the poor scams look like. And really, underneath the words presidential electors, you can't even read the text. It's so poor. One of the issues that was brought up was, well, it was just a malfunctioning scanner, right? In software settings could do that. There could be something wrong with the lenses, the optics, the machine itself. And I get that. But I have 3,000 that are interspersed that turn out just fine on that exact same scanner. Well, one of the reasons that you could have for these poor qualities to get re-scanned is that the machine, ha- the I'm sorry, the ballot has a little unique number at the bottom. And if the machine scans the same number, it's supposed to know that, hey, we've already scanned this ballot, something's wrong, we don't, we don't count it again. But if it's of such poor quality that you can't read it, it could easily scan it twice. So that could be a way. Now, I haven't been able to match up these 17,000 to say they've all been scanned twice. Because that's an enormous undertaking. There's nothing text-wise that you can say, well, here's the text that I'm looking for, and here's this, here's that. You have ovals that are filled in very systematically and similarly, like most of us do. Every now and then you get a unique one where someone puts a curly cue or something, and that's an easy one to go look for. But we have found some where they've been scanned twice of these low-quality images. But having 17,000 of these images that, again, it doesn't, the idea that it was a scanner that was working improperly doesn't make sense. You've got 3,000 of them that work just fine. When you are told that you can't examine the paper itself to see what it looks like, it's shrouded in secrecy. In other words, there's no transparency when this happens. You have a machine that does it. You have a computer that gives you the answer that the machine said. And then you can't look at anything to see if it verifies or checks or balance. That's where the problems come in. We've seen, and I, and, and I wasn't involved, but I've seen the reports, where you have a county in Michigan, Antrim County, where the software settings changed who was the winner of that small area, right? I'm not saying the whole election, but that small area. So the software settings A, person X won. Software settings Y, person Z won that just goes to show you that the software can do something to change how it's done. There was a scanner in Tennessee, in Williamson County, Tennessee, and it had a certain error code that was causing problems. QR signature mismatch was the name of the code. And they had a big investigation. I believe the EAC was there. They couldn't figure out what the problem was. I don't know what the problem was. All I'm told is that there was a fix to it. I don't know what the fix was. Uh, but when we look at the, the system log files in Georgia for the 22 election, dozens of counties in Georgia have the same signature mismatch error code. In other words, whatever the fix was hadn't been distributed or at least implemented to other counties to fix the same thing. And I've got a short summary uh, with me on the signature mismatch code, where it was found, what the software was, how it pertained, and so on, along with the copies of the uh, relevant portions of the EAC report and the and the uh, Williamson County, Tennessee findings, and the examples of the S-log files or the system log files showing the same error code in 
the one that's demonstrated here is Fulton County um, in two different places, but dozens of counties in Georgia had the same error code. Um, but when you don't have the chain of custody, of when you don't have ballot control, when you don't have control of the ballots from the time they're printed to the time they're distributed to the time they're counted, you don't have the ability to go back to determine exactly what happened and where they came from. But when you see things like we had here in Maricopa, like we had in Allegheny, where you have ballots that didn't come from the PDFs or from the official ballot process, whatever that process is for whatever area it is, yours is slightly different than other areas, but very similar, you you have to at least be, I would think, want to look into how did these ballots show up to be counted. If you don't know, which I'm told that we don't, where did they come from? And what I'm trying to say in the report that you have in front of you from Maricopa, or that you're getting put in front of you now, is that we have many of these with this um, CPS code that would tell us where it was printed and how it was printed, and it's available. It's there. It didn't disappear. It's still there. We can go look at it. If the ballots still exist, we can look at it. Um, <clears throat> I've been a part of other recounts, other counties, and I've heard the, the the logic of, well, if we just hand recount it, it's the same as the machine, and it comes out that the numbers are the same at the end of the day. And in some instances, that has been true, but it doesn't account for where the ballots came from that are being counted. So in many of these hand recounts, I haven't been able to even look at what precinct that the ballot was from. In other words, we might be looking at a vote that's on the back on a two-sided ballot, and you see that the vote is here. We're just counting that. We're not even looking at the front to see where it was from. Not to mention the image quality and things like that of these mysterious ballots that we've talked about in Pennsylvania and here in Arizona. No one's even looking for that in a recount. So the ballot control, the transparency issues of what did happen are, are of a big concern. Uh, the software-driven part is obviously user input. And, I mean, when I was a kid, I remember them saying uh, with the computers, it was garbage in, garbage out when you wrote a program. So you write a program to do X, and you get Y for an answer. Well, that's what the program was told to do. So it's all in how the program was set up that you get the answer. And the setup of the program, how it's run, and verifying that it did it correctly is of the utmost importance. And secondly, what is put in? Where did the ballots come from? How did they get there? And if they're different, why don't they look like the other ones? Where, where could they have come from? Um, the ballot sorting is something that's a question that I don't know if it has an answer, but that's something that I've always been curious about how it got to that point where there were so such a discrepancy in, in how they were organized. Um, I'm told I have a few minutes left, so I don't know if this is a good time for me to say let me answer questions. I have these two reports here um, I have that, that I just talked about. Um, I have one other one on the duplicate scanning of the ballots that I talked about. So the image is here showing two different CVR, which is cast vote record, with the exact same shapes of the circles filled in. But you can see it's not the same scan. In other words, the same scan wasn't counted twice. The same ballot was scanned twice, and they're super close, but subtle differences between them. 
because it was the same thing scanned two different times. And I've got a, several examples here. And there's also uh, duplicate CVRs that are mentioned. There's about 50,000 instances of non-unique CVRs. In other words, the scanner or the tabulator says, this is the first ballot, second ballot, third ballot I've scanned. That should be unique. We've got about 50,000 instances in Allegheny, not, not here. I haven't seen that, where it's a non-unique number, uh, where it came from. And then finally, I'll just say that we have one other instance, and I've been given permission to talk about this, in Fulton County, Pennsylvania, where we have an IP address that there's a connection between the computer or the adjudication station, a part of the voting system, that connected to a foreign IP address. And we've recovered the IP address from the adjudication station that there was a connection to that IP address at some point in time before the election. That's, I don't understand how that can happen, how we can allow that to happen. That is the problem with having non-secure systems, having computers and systems with modems, LANs, uh, Wi-Fi, that sort of thing, that are supposedly DNA or uh, unenabled, I forget what the English word is for that, sorry, uh, disenabled or turned off, it may or may not be the case. I'm sure in some instances that is successful in turning it off. I don't know. But in some instances, and in specifically in this one, it was not. Uh, and that is also a, a not only a transparency issue, but a pretty significant issue to me on security of our election, that the data can be transmitted to anywhere, let alone to a foreign IP address in some form or fashion. Whatever that data was, however it was transmitted and what the purpose was, I don't know. And um, that's the IP address, the finding, and the station here. So I have those four reports that I talked about here. If, and, if and I'm happy page to answer would questions. go collect those from Mr. Spikine so that the chair can enter them into the record, that would be appreciated. Thank you. I, unless uh, questions, please. Yeah, I'm happy to answer questions and leave some time for your questions. I didn't want to talk. Well, the whole I, time. I have a question for you. If nobody else uh, does, thank you. First, thank you for coming to speak with us today, Mr. Spikine. Thank you for inviting me. Um, let me ask you this: Is it possible that that degraded quality of the ballots can be caused by paper size or thickness issues? I don't think so. Paper size, no. The papers were the same size because we have the scale in the photographs, so that wouldn't even be it. Paper thickness wouldn't cause the improper printing that I can think of. I mean, I've examined hundreds of thousands of documents and been to printing schools in Canon and all over the country. I've never seen that happen. I'm, I'm sure not going to sit here and tell you it's impossible because I don't know. I haven't actually seen the piece of paper, but I don't. I can't come up with a way that it could be, but I'm not going to say impossible, no. But different size, I think we can rule out. Thickness, I, I can't answer that one definitively. <clears throat> yes, thank you, Madam Chair. Mr. Mr. Spikina, you, you had mentioned uh, the uh, CISA report and the EAC report from uh, Williams County, Tennessee. I've got those. The House the Senate members had that from a we, we had a previous committee where we exposed that information. House members did not have until today. I, uh, Mr. Uh, yeah, it's on. Can you hear me? Um, anyway, I've got a couple questions, follow-up questions. 
your report that you did back in 21, um, we, we know we turned that over to the Attorney General's office. Did did the Attorney General's office uh, investigators contact you for a follow-up? I've not been contacted by anyone to this point, now. Madam, Madam Chair, Mr. Spikine, we had that report. I know it was done in the audit. You were contracted, and we turned everything over to the Attorney General's office. None of the investigators from the criminal side or the civil side contacted you, sir? No investigator, no Attorney General, no one from the state of Arizona has contacted me about my findings in that report or any other part of those findings now. And when did you turn those in, if I may ask? My report, I believe, is dated September of 21. When it got turned in, I don't know, but I think it was shortly after. Is that correct? Yes. Thank you. Um, you, Madam Chair? Mr. Vice Chair, you have a question? Madam Chair, um, Mr. Spikine, are are the same sort of PDF files used for pre-printed ballots, like early ballots, uh, as they are for ballots that are printed at vote centers? I believe that should be the same PDF with a minor exception that in some areas, and I can't say specifically in Maricopa County, it may say early voting on it, or it may say mail-in, or it could say absentee. Mail-in and absentee are commonly used as the same, but some areas call it different. So it should be the same ballot, right, the same configuration, same layout, same spacing, but it might have extra words on it. I don't recall if yours had it. I don't I don't recall. I mean, it was uh, 18 months ago when I looked at it. Madam Chair, Mr. Spikine, um did you observe any of these degraded print quality issues with early ballots? Did you have occasion to examine early ballots? And if you did, did you observe these issues with early ballots? Yes. Yes, I did. Yes, yes, I did. Yes, I saw. And yes, that's correct. I did see that. Madam Chair, Mr. Spikine, did you observe any pattern with respect to the ballots that were degraded? If it was early in election day ones, were they from certain geographic areas? Were they printed at a certain location? Is there any pattern that could be observed? So the printing part, I can't answer. Uh, the CPS code would tell us what machine printed it, which could lead us back to where it was printed, which would lead us back to where it was printed. The decipherable patterns, I don't no ge- geography here to answer that, but I did list various areas where I found more of them in my report. There might be a pattern someone else sees, but nothing that I've been able to say is a pattern or there's something to it. There might be something that someone else recognizes, though. Uh, Mr. Spikine, to the untrained ear, would you please explain what CPS stands for and explain the Impact and significance of these codes as they are on various documents. Sure. So early when color copiers and color printers started coming out, the government said, wait a second, people could use these to create bearer instruments, whether it be stock certificates, money, bonds, something phony out of this because we're get technology is getting to be pretty good and people might not be able to tell the difference. So the government asked manufacturers to put in a CPS code and it's called Counterfeit Protection System. And it's a series of yellow dots, and they're very small, and it has a unique grid pattern. Now, depending, and are they visible to the naked eye? Uh, that would depend on the eye. So if you know what you're looking for, and I've examined tens of thousands of them, I'd like to say yes. These eyes are getting a little bit older, so I might need a magnifying glass. But I know where to look, and I know what to find. Um, I would say probably not, though. To the average eye, no. To a very trained eye in a specific instance on a blank piece of paper, 
I'd like to say I could still see it. But if it's interspersed with text, even I might not see it without magnification. So a photo that you can zoom in on that's high quality or just a small magnifying glass like you'd buy at Target would work. Uh, so this code, depending on the manufacturer, can tell you what machine and what day something was printed. So the most common is a, commonly called a Xerox pattern, and it's a series of grid. It's a grid with a series of different uh, binary numbers. So one, two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two, and whether dots are in these certain areas, you can decode the serial number of the machine. And then there's a break in the line or break in the code, and then it would be the date, and it would give you the date and the time that this was printed. Um, it would tell you, of course, if one the same one was printed once and then it was recopied or if multiple ones were printed because it would take multiple seconds to do such a thing. Um, that's the code that it looks like it has based on the checkerboard or grid of the yellow dots that I could see in the photographs that I could zoom in on, but I couldn't get the complete picture. So it's a series of yellow dots imparted at the request of the government on purpose to detect counterfeits, forgeries, and tracking of com color printed ob uh, papers. And so the significance of this wonderfully elemental explanation you've now helped me with, the significance of this across ballots and the validity of ballots, could you explain that in simple terms? Well, sure. I mean, the two elements that I talked about, so you've got the date it was printed, and you've got the machine serial number it was printed on. So number one, we'd be able to know, do we have multiple machines printing these or just one? Second of all, where is it, right? Who bought it? Was it one of the printers that was at a site? What site was it? Was it a third-party vendor? Whatever. We can figure that out, trace it back. The second part on the date and time would be, is it printed? I mean, it's theoretically possible after the election. I don't know. Is it printed before the election? Is it printed when it was supposed to be printed? And then lastly, as I just said, was it printed multiple ballots over time or the same ballot copied a thousand times or 17,000 as it were. And so your conclusion is? I don't know. They haven't given me the ballots to see. It's, the, it's there. I, I just haven't, I don't have it. Um, and it's not just me. I'm not the only person in the world that has access to this information. It's a CPS code that's out there. Other people could determine it too. I'd be happy to do it if I was asked, but I mean, it's not like I'm, the only one with the key to the lock, it's it exists. Thank you. Madam Chair? Yes, Senator Borelli. Yes, Madam Chair, um, you know, the, you brought up the Tennessee r report. Um, You've mentioned something I've, I've heard of, like, uh, was it the uh, uh, the Python Python script in, in Pennsylvania? There's a Python script, it's, in, it's a detail in the report that was part of the same adjudication workstation that was present as the um, as the foreign IP address. Madam Chair, did you say foreign IP, IP address? The IP address, so the routing for the computer that it connected to is not registered in the United States. It's in Canada. The IP address that showed the connection. And it's the, the IP address itself is in the report. It tells the, the uh, adjudication workstation serial number that it was on, where it was found. It's in the deleted space. So it's only fragments, of course, but the Python script and the IP address were found on the same adjudication workstation. And this was to the AG that you submitted that? 
that is not submitted to the AG. That's in uh, Fulton County, Pennsylvania. It has not been. I, I don't know. I don't have knowledge if it's been submitted to anyone at this point. Okay. Um, another follow-up on that. You know, a lot of people get confused because we say the voting machines, you know, there's a machine and then there's a computer. Most of this is all computer we're, we're actually talking about uh, on the, on these a lot of these anomalies. Right. Well, first, it's all a system to me, right? Yeah. So the system is created of computers, machines, and software that runs both. So to me, the machine is like the, the thumbs that feed the ballots through, that opens an envelope, that straightens something out. The rest of it's computers, whether it be hardware or software in the computer, tells it what to do and what the answer was when it did what it was told to do. And Madam Chair, and Mr. Spikine, is it a good idea to have uh, components made from uh, foreign countries to uh, handle our elections? According to Eric, I think it's foolish. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me why you would. But even more so, if you're going to have a machine that you want to not connect to the outside world, you want to have it be a tight system, Right. Why would you get a machine that has a modem, that has a LAN connection, that has a Wi-Fi, that has a cellular modem, and then you're going to create something that is supposed to turn it off, which may or may not be done or may or may not work, and may or may not still be in place? Why are you getting something with the ability to even do that, let alone where it's sourced from? That's my question. Go ahead. To follow up to know to also include... uh, Unblock portals in a computer. So that would be it, right? So there's different kinds of portables. Yeah. Portals, a cellular, a Wi-Fi, a LAN, which is the old cable that plugs in that looks a little bit like a phone cord but a little wider. Uh, of course, I don't think we have many phone modems anymore, well, but they might exist. Well, Madam Chair, maybe like a thumb drive, sticking a thumb drive in a, in a co- computer. Well, a thumb drive... Yeah would probably be necessary because you'd have to get the new ballot configurations for the next election on the system at some point in time. You'd have to have a way to put that information on there. How it's done, how it's controlled, and what the process is for what was put on there is highly significant. But I think you would have to have, as I see it anyway, some manner to put the next election cycle's ballots on there, or this election cycle if a ballot were to change, if someone died or whatever, I don't know. You'd have to have a way to put that on there. One more, one more question. Go ahead. Yes, thank, thank you, uh, Madam Chair. Did, did Georgia and – did you find the same pattern in Georgia and, and uh, Tennessee? So I didn't examine Tennessee myself. I only have the report of the EAC with what was found, that okay. code, and the same code was found in dozens of counties in Georgia, yes. Thank you. Madam Chair, may I? Go ahead. Um, Madam Chair, Mr. Spikine, um are you familiar with MoFi? And do you know if there, I know you're, you're really here for the paper, but since we're talking about connections, is it possible that we use something called MoFi here in Maricopa County? I'm not familiar with that term. I, in Maricopa, I wasn't asked to examine the computer system, so I'm not up to speed as I am on other areas of computer systems. Uh, so I'm sorry, I don't know the answer. Thank you. I have one more question. Okay. And then- the, you said the CPS code, is that what you call it? Does, is that only for commercial printers? I mean, you can buy at Walmart or is Runback is unique type of thing, commercial? No, many printers have it. I'm not going to say that every printer manufactured has it, but many, many have it. And clearly printers you can buy at Walmart do have it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Printers, color printer, color laser printers right. and color laser copiers 
have this code, not 100%, but it's very, very common. And there's a list that don't that's out there, which far more do than don't. So to follow up, so which means if you have that code, you could identify which printer it came from. If it is the code that I think it is, based on the appearance of the dots that I <clears throat> that I see in some of the photographs and the uh, geometric pattern mm -hmm. of, I believe it's eight by sixteen or whatever the, the the square would be, the rectangle would be, then yes, that one's an easy one to decode. You don't have to go to the manufacturer. We know it. It's out there in the public realm, and other people can do it as well. And Madam Chair, Mr. Spikine, I have one final question then. Obviously, voters are very concerned about the, the ballot printing issues that occurred on Election Day in the last general election. Is there some way that we can use these dots uh, to track down the source of the problem and figure out why it happened and stop it from happening again? It's absolutely possible until I know what the dots show and where it leads. I can't answer if that's the solution, but it's very possible that is one avenue that could get us there, and it's possible it is the avenue that could get us there. Th that answer, of course, being I can only answer for the 2020, so not the 22 election because I haven't seen those ballots. I'm answering for 20 election. Senator Champ, did you have a question? Thank you, Madam Chair. Mr. Speaking, thank you for being here today. You said something that intrigued me. You said that the IP address was from a different country that these computers were relaying with. And my question is, the places where you found the error code, the difference, you found them in Tennessee as well as in Georgia, they had the same error code. Was the IP address the same that was accessed on those computers? So I don't know the answer to that one. So I didn't do Tennessee. All I have is a report right. from the EAC. Mm -hmm. But in Georgia, I was only given the system log files, not the forensic image of the system. In other words, the adjudication, the tabulators, and the main EMS uh, server. So I don't have that information. It's not in the just you would see it or it prints. I mean, it was in a deleted space. You had to make an a forensic image of that and search through the Slack space or the deleted space to find it. And I haven't been given that opportunity in Georgia, so I don't know the answer if it exists or not in the same way. I have two questions for you. What did you discover after you were, after you began your examination, what did you discover that you didn't expect? And the, uh, corollary to that then will be how would you advise us as a legislature? Go ahead. The first part is rather interesting. So I, as in any case, you get a call from someone saying, what can you do and what would you look for? And, oh, I've examined all these, just like I said when I got here, election cases. All the things I said I would look for is not what I found here. So I didn't expect to find that you'd have these 20-some thousand degraded images that were from another source, and I sure didn't expect to find they would all be from the same source, in other words, have the same problem. As to what's going forward, I mean, I think there's three central issues. Number one is ballot control. So when a ballot is printed, where does it go and when does it come back, and how is it tracked? Chain of custody. Chain of custody of the ballot. Chain of custody perhaps is a, is a wonderful thing, but it's not going to be formal in the sense that everyone's going to have a signed receipt like we do for a murder weapon that was used that signed by all the people that saw it. It's not going to be quite that formal, but some sort of chain of custody. Control of the ballots once they arrive, especially if they're mail-in ballots. Control of what happens, where they are, who touches them. 
you can't have ballots swapped in and out. In other words, you can't have somebody sort a bunch of ballots, and in theory, this pile for this person is gone, and now we have these ballots that were printed from God knows where subbed in for it. I'm not saying that's what happened, but we all have to avoid a situation where that could happen. That's what scares people. Uh, and then the third is how they're counted. So transparency in how they're counted. Either a hand count or if some sort of instruments or computer system is used, it has to be transparent in how it's done, what it's connected to, how it works, what the inputs are, what the outputs are, and at least be able to look at such a thing before the results um, are, I forget what the word that you use, confirmed or um, set in final form or whatever the word is. I forget. me. Canvassed? Certified or canvassed? Certified. Certified. I don't know why I can think of that. Sorry. Um, so before it's certified, um, you'd, you'd want to make sure all these things are in check and done the correct way. So we don't have a situation like we had in Antrim County, Michigan, where the software was, I, I don't know what the term that was used, but improperly used or improperly set. And no one knew until the very end when the results didn't seem to match with what was expected. And all said, oh, my goodness, there is a problem. Or you have a case like Allegheny County where you have the same ballot being scanned multiple times. We don't know how many of that happened, but to even find a, a couple hundred where that happened, let alone there could be 17,000, I don't know the answer yet. That That's the fact that any are being scanned multiple times is problems. So when they come in, what happens, how they're done, and, and, and how it was done before an outcome. Hand counts have worked for a really long time. I don't want to sound like I'm anti-technology, um, but that's, I wish it were my role to tell you, but it's really not. Uh, but there's so many things that can happen with computers based on the garbage in, garbage out concept. It's scary to me too. And without transparency, that's why, I mean, I think that's why people are scared. Senator Borelli. Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah. Representative Heath. Madam Chair, Mr. Skeen, um, I want to just drill down on something in the report that you gave us that I'm just just reading. Now, whenever we're talking about anything highly technical, I, I always advise people, explain it to me like I'm five. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's try to keep it as, as as clear so that everybody understands and everyone watching at home can can understand what we're talking about. Um, can I just you ask which report just before you ask the question? Oh, sorry. This is your... Uh, Executive summary? The Maricopa one. Okay. Maricopa okay. Executive okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. So um, you, you talk in there about printer anomalies that were happening where multiple ballots, if I understand right, have the same anomaly or the same errors repeated. Can you, first of all, just explain what, what you mean by that? What's the anomaly you're talking about? Sure. So anomaly means different than normal, right? So we have a normal ballot that's printed. We have I have the PDFs that were created. They're all of good quality all 5,000 times 2 or 10,000, counting the Spanish. And we have ballots that are printed where the circles are just fine, completely intact, they look great, everything's fine. Just like the ballot I voted on, just like probably the one that you voted on. The anomalous, behave, the anomalous appearance is twofold. The first is that it's degraded and not like the other PDFs. In other words, it has these breaks in lines, it has unusual formations to characters, it has jagged uh, vertical and horizontal lines because it's uh, a roster effect like old fax machines would have, you know, kind of jagged edges. And the second part of the anomalous characteristics are that not only that, but it wasn't just a result of something being copied or scanned poorly before it was voted on because they're all the same. In other words, the same errors or the printing anomalies or 
differences that exist in one are found across the board in many, many. Uh, Madam Chairman, Mr. Keen, um, so if you were to see a series of ballots in, in, let's say, a box that all had exactly the same codes, what what does that suggest occurred? Well, I assume the word code is different. You mean anomaly still? I mean anomaly. Right. Yes, okay. So if you have that, it's suggesting that they're coming from the same source and it's not the official PDF ballot. It's not the official PDF that was created for the on-demand printing and, and third-party printers to send out. It's further degraded from that. So it's someone had it, they scanned it, they rescanned it, they printed it, they faxed it. They, I don't know. But something happened for them to all be the same, and then they were voted on. And would that be – so when would that anomaly have occurred? At the printing of the ballot or after when they were scanned into the machine? So that's a great question that I haven't made clear. So these weren't scanned into the machine. These are photographs of the actual paper ballots that I'm talking about. So it wasn't something that was a machine problem. So it happened when it was printed before it was voted. Okay. Madam Chairman, Sorry, that wasn't clear. No, no, that's that, good. That's Madam Chairman, Mr. Christine, uh, can you tell us approximately how many ballots did you examine that had this identical anomaly on all the ballots? Over 20,000 that had the anomaly. Madam, I can't Chair, Madam Chair, to this point. Uh, you, let you, him finish the answer, please. Go ahead, Mr. Spikini. Oh, sorry. So I can't say that all 23,000 are exactly the same as one another. They might very well be, but some are degraded slightly more than others, but they're all consistent across the board. But some of the 23,000 are a little bit worse than others of the 23,000. And if I may ask, that's before the bubble is filled in? Correct. This happened before it was voted on. They were, they were of poor quality before the bubble was filled in. Whether it was actually a vote or something else, I can't answer. But, yes, it was printed poorly, then pen was applied to or pencil was applied to it. Mr. Heap, did that answer your question? Yes. Senator Bennett, go ahead. The point I was uh, requesting, Madam Chair, was to Senator Heap's question of how many ballots did you inspect? I think you testified earlier you've never inspected any paper ballots from the 2020 election. You were inspecting ballot images made from those ballots. Ballot, Is that correct? Ballot photographs. Ballot Photogra images. images kind of, photographs, whatever. Yeah. But, but okay. photographs. I didn't have the piece of paper in my so hand. You, You're correct. Okay. Are there any further questions? Senator Bennett, and if you if you could, um, unless anybody has anything burning, he please make this your last question. We do have Mr. Ketchell scheduled to start at ten. Mr. Chairman, this is my first and last question. Apparently, <laughs> um, Mr. Spikine, one, one of the documents you turned in said that you were asked to review scans and microscopic photographs from the 2020 Maricopa election. When were you asked, and by whom? Uh, I was contacted by a law firm of uh, Stephanie Lambert to contact Doug Logan to assist. And that would have been roughly a few weeks before the date of the report. The uh, date of your, Mr. Chair, Madam Chair, I'm not sure who's chair. Um, the date of your report was 20th of September, 2021. Is that correct? Right. So, Sometime a few weeks before that, you were contacted by a law firm asking you to assist Mr. Logan? Correct. I would guess it to be roughly September 1. I don't know exactly the day, but roughly that time frame. And it was Stephanie Lambert? Was, is that a person's name or is that a law firm's name? Or? Both. 
that's the person's name and the name of the law firm. So how did you receive these um, ballot or microscopic photographs, scans and photographs? I came here to Maricopa County, County and examined them at the location uh, where they were stored. Which was where? I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. It was outside of town in um, a warehouse building. I may have it in my file, but I don't remember the... Uh, under the auspices of whom? Doug Logan is the one who had them, and that's on his file is where or his server is where I viewed them directly. So I had the, the server there. And Phoenix Coliseum, perhaps, or no, no, it wasn't there. Okay. It was um, I don't remember the place, okay. but it wasn't there. No. Go ahead, no. Senator Bennett. Um, and I think you, Madam Chair, Mr. Spikine, you said um, in your earlier testimony that the actual paper ballots were not available to you. That's correct. Did Mr. Logan or or the law firm tell you that those had already been returned, or I believe Mr. Logan told me they had already, already been, been returned, returned some time ago, or I don't know they were returned so much as he left the presence of the ballots. I don't remember which way it was phrased, but they weren't available to me to put my hands on and look at. Okay, uh, Madam Chair, I think you testified that had you had access to the paper ballots, that would have greatly enhanced your ability to answer some of the questions that came up as you inspected the scans and the photographs? Absolutely. I mean, it could have given me more insight. I could have definitely answered some of the questions that I got today more completely. And third of all, I might have had a lot more information, and I have told you the paths that would lead to that information, how it works, where it would be, and what the possible conclusions would be as well. So, yes, I think I can't guarantee it, but I think yeah. it would be a huge help. I would think so, too, Madam Chair. Was it ever explained to you, Mr. Spikine, why you had not been contacted when they still had the paper ballots in their possession? No, I didn't ever ask that. I've been curious about that many times, but I never actually asked the question. Okay. Yeah, because we had them for several months. I heard that after the fact. I didn't know it at the time, but I heard that after the fact. Thank you. Okay, if there are no further questions, uh, Mr. Spikine, you're a, a scholar and a gentleman. Thank you for coming all this way, and uh, really appreciate you. Well, thank you for having me. I, and by the way, I mean, if you have any other questions or wanted to have me back on procedures or what I think or where I've seen other problems that could happen from such procedures that you're considering, i be flattered to be asked for my opinion like I was today with a more specific answer that I could give, uh, and I'd be happy to come back and try to help. We'll keep you in touch. Thank, Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next presenter uh, is Representative Liz Harris, colleague of ours on the House Elections Committee, who will be uh, presenting the People Speak testimonial highlights. Okay. Madam Chair, um, Vice Chair, I would like permission due to speakers and their flight schedules to um, call up the next speaker instead and delay my presentation until after lunch. So granted. Thank you. Then that speaker being delayed, our next speaker, Seth Ketchell, who will present a statistical overview of Arizona elections since 1948 with special focus on 2018, 2020, and 2022. Uh, Mr. Keschel, welcome. Get the mic right up close to your mouth and uh, state your name for the record and 
your background real quickly, if you wouldn't mind. Thank you, Senator. Seth Keschel from Weatherford, Texas. A little closer. Seth Keschel from Weatherford, Texas, former Army captain of military intelligence, Afghanistan veteran, baseball statistician turned intelligence analyst, able to take in large amounts of information and data and make them digestible here for dealing with what I would consider a massive national crisis with the confidence of our elections. Go ahead. The problem that we are trying to solve, I don't think we state it right. The issue that we have to get to the bottom of is transparency in elections. I kind of find it interesting that the Democrat colleagues that should be up on the stage are not here to talk about this issue that concerns a supermajority of Americans. More than two-thirds of Americans, according to any source you want to look at, even in the mainstream media, do not have confidence in our system of elections. That is a crisis. So we get wrapped around the axle arguing over who we think should have won a race, when in reality, we should be able to determine clearly, as many people who have presented reforms have suggested, who won a race in a quick fashion. So I'm going to present some of these points to help, on the record, people to understand why the public has such an issue digesting this election's problem. And I've gone back seven decades to pull information from Arizona's elections on the record, to have people understand what people see. An intelligence officer in Iraq or Afghanistan during the heyday of that fighting would instruct soldiers to look for vehicles just a couple inches off the ground because we're probably going to find vehicles that are carrying explosive materials that can be used to harm friendly forces. They could be used to cause major damage, major casualties. Likewise, somebody in an accounting function in a workplace, if you send a salesman from Phoenix to Tucson, you're going to expect maybe $50 in gas. You're going to expect $150 in a hotel. You're going to expect maybe $100 in incidentals. And if that expense bill comes back at $7,500, you should rightfully be suspicious of those totals. So what I'm going to show you here is going to shine a light on election data from 2018 to 2020 to 2022 made to prompt people to understand that we have to start pushing for reforms to create a transparent system of elections. So while the, while the common task is to not try to relitigate past elections, we have to pave the way to have elections in the future because as a constitutional republic, we are not going to be able to last without our states running elections that people can believe in. Now, the first slide that I'm going to show you here, can you guys see the slides where you're at, or do you have them on paper? They're up here. They're right on the screen. Hey, some of these are some of these are pretty granular. And when when I run into slides like that, I am going to summarize. And if you need me to stay on the data, stay on the slides, I'm happy to. I can explain every number on the slides. So just pop in and ask. Uh, we will not have questions. You're going to just go straight, and then we'll have questions after. And just as a heads up, we may have to recess during. Uh, your presentation to go to the March for Life event and then come back. So be aware of that. Okay. This is perhaps the only slide in the deck that does not have anything to do with votes or political parties, but perhaps one of the most concerning slides I've ever made. This is from the United States Census data. So if you want to confirm that, just look it up. I've taken that from official <laughs> sources. When you see 1980 there in the top, what that means is the state, Arizona, grew 
by 947,315 from the previous census. So in the 70s, Arizona grew by 947,000. Maricopa County grew by 538,000. That is not separate. That is part of the 947, given that Maricopa produces more than 60% of the votes in the state and did so in the last several elections. You can see steady growth in population into the 90s. So the 80s grew by almost the exact same number. That, that's a little bit of an interesting fact to me that they're within 300 people of each other. Maricopa County, 613,000. 2000, we start with the massive growth. So the 90s, people were pouring in here. Almost a million and a half new Arizona residents in the 90s. Maricopa County reflects that with almost a million new residents of its own. And then in the 20, in the 2000s, we have more than a million and a quarter new residents to Arizona, 750,000 in Maricopa. Now, this is where we reach a bit of a crossroads as an analyst. So in order to justify massive election turnout that has never been seen before in what is still a, a pretty small state, Arizona's not a big state. You have a major metro and the rest of the state, even Tucson, relatively to other large cities, is not that big. We have that many new votes. California, of course, is gushing out its residents. In 2020, California lost residents for the first time since 1900 and has done so for the two years following. And, of course, many of them move here, as you know. But what we have on the census data for 2020, I would assume on a trend line like that, we would be looking at more than a million and a quarter, maybe a million and a half in the state, and more than a million in Maricopa. And what we have is this. We have the lowest growth to the state of Arizona since the 1960s, the lowest growth in Maricopa County since the 1970s. So either the census data is fudged to make sure that Arizona is deprived of electoral representation in the Electoral College and in the U.S. House, or the population numbers are real here, and it doesn't justify how many votes have been put out in the 2018, 2020, and 2022 elections, which have defied all statistical models since this state really began its current political cycles. That brings my focus to the 2018 midterms. Now that we've touched on population, population drives voter registration. Voter registration drives voter participation and how many votes are going to be cast. I've also heard Representative Harris has been criticized heavily for a plan to hand count ballots in the state in Maricopa County that it would take 21,000 volunteers to count 2 million ballots. Well, that's 1.1% of all voters in Maricopa County. That's not a Herculean task. All right, so gauging 2018 turnout in the midterms. My position is that elections have been manipulated heavily in this country. I think there's been cheating in elections as long as we've had elections. You can look at Boss Tweed from the old New York days in the 1800s. Obviously, that's called voter fraud. Somebody shows up, tries to vote twice. Election fraud is a different story. When we look at the 2018 forecast, somebody, all the political consultants know this, all the campaign managers know this, there is a finite number of votes that can be had, and that maxes out with how many voters are registered, and that's not going to be statistically achievable. Somebody's going to make a forecast for 2018. So the best way to do that, to predict the future, is to analyze history. I've run analysis on all midterm elections since 1974. I would consider that a pretty modern look at our midterm cycle, given that that would have been the first midterm that 18-year-olds could vote in federal elections. The highest percentage of midterm turnout compared to previous presidential vote nationally in that time span was in 1982. Arizona reflected that with 83% of the previous presidential vote. But since the 1994 midterm cycle, you can see about what the turnout levels for the following midterms are. So what this means is in 2006, where I have the arrow pointing, 
76.2% of 2004's presidential votes were cast in that governor's race in 2006. So you can see that Arizona generally puts out about three-quarters of its prior presidential vote for the governor's race the following midterm. That's a way of framing what we might expect turnout to be, and it can fluctuate. You can see in 2014, nationally, we had very poor turnout, which was about 57% of the previous presidential nationally, 65% in Arizona. So Arizona almost always surpasses the national turnout because of growth to the state. Now, when I focus on 2018, I picked that number 76.2% because I threw out the highest number at 80% in 2002, and I threw out the low because I don't feel like the low would be a realistic forecast estimate. In 2016, there were 2.6 million votes cast in the presidential race. That would be for Trump, Clinton, and also a pretty sizable third party share given that there was a lot of lost, there were a lot of lost Republican votes in 2016 at the third party column. When we calculate that number with that forecast coefficient, that comes out to a baseline of 1.98 million votes for the 2018 midterm. That would, I would expect based on historical norms. If we were to look at the minimum, which I would not anticipate, that would be 1.7 million. And if we were to put it on the maximum, we're looking at 2.1, almost 2.1 million votes cast for the governor's race in 2018. So if we're looking for a number between 1.9 and 2.1 million for 2018, there's what we got in 2018, which is enormously high, which is 91% of the previous presidential vote, which blows away even even the 1982 number in Arizona, which was 83%. So what that means is this number is 392,000 votes over how many votes I would expect to be cast at the top of the ticket in the 2018 midterm. Top of the ticket, of course, trickles down to other races, which are key in 2018, not just at the state level, but in the in the county level and, and also in the municipalities. And that's also nearly 300,000 votes over the highest turnout per previous presidential election, which was in 2002. So this impact in Arizona, with the massive disparate turnout historically, you have a, a Senate race within 56,000 votes, U.S. Senate race, and, of course, the Secretary of State race, which was called for Steve Gaynor on election night in 2018, and then after days of counting in Maricopa County, was decided by 20,000 votes in favor of the current governor. Which leads you to the 2020 presidential forecast. We're going to get granular here. People say that this isn't a significant sample size. I would say that this is a very substantial sample size going back to 1948, nearly 70 years' worth of presidential data, 17 elections. This is 1948 to 2016. 1948 was a very interesting year in Arizona. That was the last election prior to 2020 that Maricopa County backed the Democrat nominee for president. That would be Harry Truman. And then what you have is a flip to the Republican Party. And at that point, Arizona became one of the most loyal partisan states in modern political history, right up there with Minnesota for the Democrats. Arizona became a Republican stronghold. You have a few close races early on. Barry Goldwater barely won his home state in 64. And then you can see the margins start to soar for the Republican nominees in the 60s and 70s. And there was one blip in the early 90s. In 92, George Bush, in his re-election campaign, won the state by two points. But Ross Perot had 24% of the vote. So he took a lot of the Republican vote. But then in 2000, or in 1996, I should say, Perot back on the ticket, Bob Dole lost the state by a couple points to Bill Clinton. That was the only blip on this red streak from 1948. But Bob Dole still won Maricopa County, which is interesting. 
And then we go to the top right of the graph, and you can see starting in 2008 and continuing to Mitt Romney in 2012 and on to Donald Trump in his first run in 2016, the Republican support for votes, even with the vote, the population gain in the state and in Maricopa County, plateaus. The Republican nominees are stuck within the same 30,000 vote box and still holding onto the state. But with a pretty standard Democrat gain in 2016, you have a trend Democrat. I would consider that to be on alert for 2020. The state may flip until we look at what the 2020 Republican nominee managed to do by himself which happens to be the largest Republican Party nominee gain in the history of the state of Arizona. I'm going to get into that briefly. But, of course, this was eclipsed by 10,457 votes. Now, granular slide. I encourage you all to review this slide. If you're watching at home, take a screenshot. If you have it, make it take a look. What I'm looking at, net new votes added. There's a finite number of votes. A campaign generally understands how many votes they're going to need to win a race, whether that's a statewide race or a county race or anything else, district. How to read the slide. Top left, 1952. What that means in the Republican column in red is Dwight D. Eisenhower. This is the year Arizona turned into a Republican stronghold. Dwight D. Eisenhower gained 74,000 votes over Thomas Dewey's losing total in 1948. His opponent, Adelaide Stevenson, gained 13,000 votes over Harry Truman's total from 1952. Of course, the state is growing, although it didn't start surging until the 70s. And total, there were 84,000 more votes cast in the 1952 election than in the 1948 one. And now that you understand how to read the slide, you can go down. You can see that elections from 1952 to 84 are on the left and 88 to 2016 are on the right. You have a pretty steady trend until the 70s in which the Republican nominees are starting to be able to gain more than 100,000 votes over the previous election. And then the Democrats are, in some cases, because of split tickets in 1968 or in 1980, the Democrats are losing votes, but they normally gain as well. And in 2004, you can see that both parties have their record gain for one election cycle in a small state, a middle-sized state like Arizona, 322,000 more for Bush, 208,000 more for Kerry. This is the first year nationally in which modern election systems, electronic voting systems, were used because of the issues in 2000 with the hanging chads in Florida. So we had a big move then, and of course your total votes went up by nearly half a million. And then it starts to taper. 2008 with McCain versus Obama, 12 with Romney, and Obama actually has fewer votes than the 2008 surge. And then in 16, Donald Trump actually carries Maricopa County with fewer votes than Mitt Romney had in Maricopa County four years earlier. So how does that factor in for the forecast in 2020? You can see here on the left, the top left, the Republican Party high for one election cycle is 322,000. That's Bush in 04, and he won the state by 10 points. And then you have the low, which would be Bush's father, Bush 41, losing the start, almost losing the state in 92, dropping 130,000 votes thanks to Ross Perot. And then the average Republican gain is 69,000 since 1952. But if we want to make that more modern, since 2000, the average Republican gain is 118,000 going to 2016. So you can ballpark a Republican nominee in Arizona should gain about 118,000 votes, which is skewed thanks to Bush's record here. Then on the Democrat side, we have Kerry with his record in 2004. Then we have the biggest loss would be Humphrey in 1968, the average since 1952, 63,000 new Democrat votes. Since 2000, that average is 119,000. So the two parties, the two main parties are about the same for what you can expect both to grow with. So total votes in the bottom 
478,000 is the most new votes ever added in one election in Arizona. And this is consistent because the growth to Arizona has been consistent since the 70s. The low was a loss of almost 83,000 with Bush or Dole versus Clinton in 96. And you can expect about 143,000 new votes in any election in Arizona since 1952. So forecasting for 2020 with all of those records listed below, we're going to look at that Republican column first. We have a high of 322,000 gained for the party that has only lost Arizona one time since 1952. So where does Donald Trump in 2020 come in? Does he make 322,000? He makes 409,000 net new votes over 2016. So when people go with the narrative of losing the suburban base, you're getting killed in Scottsdale, then where does this record Republican vote gain come out of? That's also big time with the Latino working class, which backed President Trump. You can see those vote totals gushing in Pima County with a gain of 40,000. You can see that in Yuma County. You can see it really everywhere in the state. And then we have the Democrat total. The record is 208,000. That's John Kerry in 2004. Perhaps, just to be generous, we should double that. Maybe we should forecast 416,000 just to be safe. That number comes in at 511,000 new Democrat votes, which is double plus 94,000 more votes to beat Trump by 10,457 votes in a state that just doesn't vote Democrat. And the total for votes in 2020 New votes, 783,000 new votes, which dwarfs the previous record for new votes added in one election by 304,000 votes, which to me opposes what I showed you with the population numbers in the 2010s. So one is true or the other is. A realistic revision based on my models for Arizona in 2020 gives Biden a modern record Democrat gain at 148,000 since Kerry, not quite at Kerry level and a total of 420,000 new votes added overall. And you can see it here in the trend progression. This is a 10.5-point Bush state in 2004, and at this point you can see the Republican Party reaches its, its a near peak where McCain loses two points in margin to Obama in his home state. That's an eight-year shift away from the Republican Party, which held the White House. And here's Romney expanding the margin ever so slightly to the right with almost the same vote total as McCain. Obama drops 9,000 votes in the state. Trump has almost no gain over Romney. That's a gain of 19,000. A lot of lost Republican votes in Maricopa County, especially in 2016. Clinton has a gain of 136,000, so the margin is tight, three and a half points. Now, with the Republican Party stuck in the mid-1.2s, I would find this to be cause for concern until you have a gain like that in 2020 with 1.66 million Republican votes, which is the highest gain in one election cycle in the history of the state for any party, especially the dominant party in the state. So if you're at a casino over there at the talking stick and the dealer flips over 1.66 million votes for the party that almost always wins the state, are you going to double down? But here's your 10,457 vote margin. Right. So at 1.31 million votes, which would which would give a Democrat record in Maricopa County, which would give a Democrat record in Pima and all your other mid-sized counties, that's a Trump state by 11.5 points by any forecast. I've broken down the state into every precinct in your 15 counties, which you can look into those for a, for a reasonable estimate of what would have happened. And just in case you think that it's only Maricopa County or Pima County, let me give you an example from Navajo County. The very... Far north precinct in Navajo County, which is which is in the reservation. We can see here in 2012, this is a Democrat blowout precinct. 
I've got it rated as such. You can see a huge margin, almost 4,000 votes between Obama and Romney in 2012. And you're going to see a slight Republican trend here, actually a decent Republican trend with both candidates losing votes in 2016. Nine points to the right. So if Trump is on the same trajectory in this precinct in 2020, you're going to expect a vote total down around 500 votes. Well, Donald Trump does better with every non-white voting bloc in the United States in 2020, and what we have is more than 1,000 votes. That's a substantial improvement in the Native American vote for the Republican Party nominee. I would have a difficult time with a finite voter pool here seeing that total for Joe Biden, even bringing in third-party losses in 2016, over 5,000 votes. And what we have is 6,500 votes, a gain of 2,000 votes, which pushes the precinct five and a half points to the left. I would expect there's probably 1,500 or 2,000 phantom votes or votes cast with ballot harvesting in that one precinct alone in a state decided by 10,457 votes. Certified results in Arizona look like this. In a remodeled Arizona, based on historical trends, they look like that. The 2022 midterm, which, of course, is all the talk in the election integrity world. If we are to factor the forecast based on the previous numbers I fielded, of course, I can explain these at the end if you have any questions, 76.2% is the ballpark turnout that I've selected, and, of course, I've bracketed these forecasts with the highs and the lows just so you understand that I'm trying to be as fair as possible. If we trim the 2022 field based on a realistic turnout, which is a, which is the second highest gain of net new votes in any presidential election, we have about 3 point we have about 3,025,000 votes cast in 2020 rather than almost 3.4 million. Multiplying that times the forecast coefficient, I would expect at the top of the ticket, governor's race in November, about 2.3 million votes on a ballpark estimate at a low just shy of 2 million. 1,975,000, that would be your 2014 turnout coefficient, and then a maximum of about 2.4 million votes based on the 2006 number. And what we got was 2.56 million votes. Where that comes in, and that's 254,000 votes over a standard turnout, which, of course, is geared to field your highest turnouts in your previous presidentials and midterms, and it's 142,000 votes more than a maximum forecast matching 2002 would add. Now, if we even went for the historical record-high national midterm turnout of 1982, it's still 40,000 votes over. So where's the impact in Arizona in 2022? These are just four races at the top. At the top, the governor's race, secretary of state, attorney general, which if you revise that down to the more recent count, it's within 300 votes there. And then, of course, the U.S. Senate race. One interesting historical factoid, just like we talked about presidential trends, if you understand political science, midterms have their own spin on them as well. So that's how you get a Democrat governor in 2006 by a landslide margin. You have a Republican presidency that's on sputtering out in its sixth year. Well, with a Democrat president in the White House, in a Republican state historically. Since 1950, we have eight such races with a Democrat president and a governor's race in Arizona. Seven out of eight went to the Republican nominee, the only exception for Bruce Babbitt in 1978. A popular incumbent wins by 7.7% in a Carter midterm. But you can see since 94 in all four races with a Democrat president, the Republican nominee won, and each time by at least 8.2% until... 2022, where the numbers for, where the numbers come in at 254,000 votes higher than a standard forecast, and I've also seen that quarter million number 
floating around in some other sources as well, and some of those are estimates. So where does all this take its origin? The transparency is what we're after. Every reasonable American can accept an election result that we can verify. We should be able to go up to the, to the folks at the tables here in the front and match them with a ballot. Did you vote? Are you registered to vote? Are you eligible to vote? Yes. These 10 points, I'm also known for my 10-point election reform plan. I call them the 10 points to true election integrity. These are completely fair. None of them are pro-conservative or pro-Republican. They should be pro-everybody. We can make equal access to the polls, and that's what we're supposed to do. But the biggest problem we have with elections nationally, not just here, is the voter rolls. Point number one is to clean out the voter rolls. Look at Arizona's voter registrations since 2004. Most importantly, considering the numbers that I showed you on population change in Arizona. So we either have enough people moving here to justify the surge in turnout from 2018 to 2020 to 2022, or the census numbers are actually correct, and we should expect the turnout numbers to fall in line with what they've been for a 70-year trend cycle. You can see here this is extremely granular, but in 2016, there's 463,000 net new voter registrations from the previous presidential, which skyrockets in 2020 to 693,000, even though the Republican Party registration number doubles any previous Republican number seen in this cycle of 20 years. The Democrat number dwarfs the Republican number, and then, of course, you have all the unaffiliated voters as well. And to my knowledge, there has been no new statute or rule passed in Arizona to allow for something like you might see in Oregon, where the motor voter bill drastically exploded their voter rolls, in which anybody that gets a driver's license, of course, is registered to vote. So voter registration combined with what the census tells us about population doesn't make any sense either. And if you have a system, an election system, that has tons of mail ballots going out to a voter roll, which canvassing in this state shows have significant issues out there, and it's not just Arizona. You can go in some of my studies on Wisconsin. You can find apartments in Madison County with 23 registered voters per unit, 16 registered voters per unit, nursing homes, and it's abused. The mail system is, is absolutely abused in, in all of our states, not just swing states. Number two. Banning all electronic elections equipment. Now, of course, it's going to take some baby steps to get there, as we've talked about with the criticism that Representative Harris has faced. But the electronic elections equipment does not provide the transparency that we need, especially given the failures of the electronic systems on Election Day, November 8th in 2022. That's something that we can't afford to have. Voter ID. Is it being enforced? Of course, we have a voter ID bill in, in, in a number of states, especially Arizona. But I'm from Texas, and there's voter ID there as well, but it's kind of neglected in places like Houston or in Dallas. Is that being enforced with paper ballots? Number four, ban mail-in voting. Why is there an asterisk? It's to amend it to say severely restrict mail-in voting. Most people can get behind absentee or mail-in votes for overseas military or legitimately disabled voters, perhaps with a notary. But the excuse to have no excuse mail-in voting, combined with the epidemic of ballot harvesting, which we've all seen, and that's certainly going on in Arizona. It was seen on film and documented in the 2022 midterms. Mail-in voting has to be trimmed back. Then the early voting as well. I understand that Arizona's been tinkering with mail-in voting since 1991. And then in 2007, that system, of course, became very open-ended, and now it's ripe for abuse. And with no end in sight for counting these votes, the problem is transparency. The people don't accept the results of the elections. This is not a Republican-specific issue. 
I can point you to Democrats in Georgia. A woman and her husband show up to vote for her race in Georgia at the precinct. At the end of the day, there's no votes for her at the precinct. So assuming they didn't vote for themselves, I think we have issues with all parties not having their votes counted. Smaller precinct sizes. Maricopa County, along with other large counties, are going in the wrong direction here, moving to voting centers rather than voting at the precinct. Smaller precincts, Representative Harris has recommended 1,200 registered voters or fewer at the precinct level, which will allow for for a quick count of ballots and then the reporting of those ballots. The ballot harvesting. You have laws against ballot harvesting, right, in Arizona. But what's the enforcement like? In Florida, ballot harvesting has been made a felony. And not only that, there was a creation of an election crimes task force. So, yeah, ballot harvesting might be illegal, but if there's no crime for getting caught, then why is it still going on in your state? It's happening big time in Pima County and in Maricopa County, which account for seven-ninths of your vote in the state, completely disenfranchising the other 13 counties, which are much smaller than Pima and Maricopa. We, we have 10 minutes till recess. Okay. Point number eight, moving towards Election Day as a holiday goes hand-in-hand hand with the smaller precincts and the cleaner voter rolls. Most people are going to support this idea, Election Day as a holiday. It's going to require some reorganization, getting away from those massive voting centers and getting back to the precinct level. This is something everyone can get behind, especially that we're talking about one day, one vote. Transparency rules are critical. It's not ethical or right for Cochise County or for Mojave County, Greenlee County, Graham County, to count all their votes and have those reported at the end of election day, and then for seven days, it was even longer than seven days in both 2020 and in 2022 and also in 2018, for Maricopa County and Pima County to continue to count votes in which the state is constantly decided by less than 20,000 votes in key races. And then, of course, getting into reforms for prison time related to election fraud. Now, those are my slides. And if we have 10 minutes left, we can, if you have questions, perhaps ask them now, or if you prefer to wait, we could do that. Representative Jones, go ahead. Yes, Madam Chair, thank you so much, Mr. Keschel. So my question actually is regarding the counties because of what happened in Cochise. They were being threatened, uh, and now there's a big campaign to get rid of the one supervisor that actually dug his heels in and stood his ground on everything. My question is, what rights do they have? Uh, Can the counties on their own decide that they're going to do all of these things that you're recommending apart from the state. There are four points. Uh, just come through the chair, say Madam Chair, oh. and then Representative Jones, and then answer. Madam Chair, Representative Jones, I have four points of these ten that I believe nationally activists and citizens can pursue at the county level. Now, that doesn't mean that every state's going to be the same. So, for example, in Georgia, the state exercises strong authority over electronic voting systems. So a county can want to get rid of machines all they want, but if they're bound by state law, then that's a no-go. The four points that I think that counties can potentially act on or refer for action would be, number one, to clean out the voter rolls. We have some issues here with half of but the voter rolls can be easily found with canvassers, inactive registrations, duplicate registrations, which are another big problem. The county should, if they're being honest, they should be willing to clean the voter rolls if they're able to unilaterally or at least push up the chain to refer for removals. Number two, to assess if a county is willing to remove electronic voting equipment, there have been some counties nationally that have. Nye County in Nevada is one example. Now, it takes a redo of the infrastructure, which is part of the 10-point smaller precincts to get this done. It's not like we can snap our fingers and just put everything in at one place, but we haven't even moved the needle in two years in most places. 
number three out of those four points would be to would be to push for more security on point number seven, ballot harvesting. There's been a number of counties. Otero County in New Mexico rings a bell after canvassing showed up with dirty voter registration and abusive mail-in voting. The county opted to remove drop boxes. I'm not sure if all counties in Arizona have drop boxes, but in Wisconsin recently there was a Supreme Court decision to ban unsupervised drop boxes and put the boxes in the elections office to be returned only by the voter or I think maybe one next of kin that can return a ballot. And then the last point would be to push for new transparency rules. I'm surprised there's not more smaller counties out there who are willing to hold back their votes until the larger counties report. But with some of our larger counties like Clark in Nevada, Washoe, Nevada, Maricopa, and Pima in Arizona, holding back votes for 7, 10, 14 days. We, we have a system. Imagine imagine the result in a state like Pennsylvania if 66 counties withheld their votes until Philadelphia reported theirs, and every time you get the same result, a narrow win for the party that's not supposed to win. So these are transparency measures. If a state truly votes 30 points for one party, then that should continue on if we put these in place because this is not – supposed to represent the interests of only certain voters or certain ideologies. I would expect the same setup in the heart of the University of Arizona precincts down in Tucson as I would in Mojave County. We have to scale it and make sure. Millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's www.naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. NaturalHempOil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.NaturalHempOil.com. That's www.NaturalHempOil.com. When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill which may never exist. But believe it or not, I may have found the next best thing. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviewers can't be wrong. Simply place your order now to get 51% off along with many other free bonuses before they sell out by going to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com. www.trimwithus.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. That's why tens of thousands are using this amazing little device from SavePowerBills.com. It's a small but smart gadget that stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your electronics. Just plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Order now to get 65% off plus many free bonuses before they sell out by going to SavePowerBills.com. That's SavePowerBills.com. Order now. 
Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. That's why tens of thousands are using this amazing little device from SavePowerBills.com. It's a small but smart gadget that stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your electronics. Just plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Order now to get 65% off plus many free bonuses before they sell out by going to SavePowerBills.com. That's SavePowerBills.com. Order now. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Between mass shootings, homicides, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjacking, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight includes an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass-breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope and wire cutter, siren, high and low LED lighting mode, and much more. Simply place your order now to get 66% off along with many other free bonuses before they sell out by going to www.fighterflare.com. Order now at www.fighterflare.com fighterflare.com sure that it works but if we don't start pushing reform then we're going to continue in this issue in which we will eventually lose the entire republic because people don't trust the system of electing our government senator wadsett thank you madam chair thank you seth ketchell um, in, in Pima County, we've had a lot of, of issues with our, our ballots and our elections, and I think Maricopa gets the, the big spotlight on this a lot of the time, and Pima just gets grazed over. Um, and, and in 2022, even in 2020, I was in both elections. I was I lost my election in 2020. Um, I'm getting there. Um, but in 2022, same exact issues were happening. How do we protect whistleblowers? Uh, we had a lot of whistleblowers come forward, and, and there's no process to get their information out there so that it, um, it it's verified and things are stopped. You, you have the prison time for fraud. Well, how would you recommend a bill be written to protect whistleblowers so that, because we had military provisionals, pre-printing of ballots, signature verification issues, canceling of entire, you know, thousands of ballots that had to be turned into provisionals. How do we, how do we fix that? How do we boost that, protect? Madam Chair, Senator Watsik, the only way to start taking whistleblowers seriously and afford them the proper protections is for the people in charge of setting the example to lead to begin to understand the concern of the citizens regarding the issue of election integrity. That starts at the top, and, and it, it is not something that is unique to either party. We have Republican governors that blow off the election integrity issue. We have Democrat governors that do the same or down in, in, this, in the subordinate offices. You can see the same thing. So the, the issue is not really being taken seriously at the top. No, it's not. My desire is to have transparent elections that we can see that these votes are actually legitimately cast by real voters who are eligible to vote. Phantom voters are how we get these excess numbers of votes that are completely outside of the norms of any historical. Uh, and as far as any bills that can be passed to protect whistleblowers, you're, you're probably looking for another another quagmire just like we are with the lack of election reform that's certainly not my expertise there okay one final question before recess senator Borelli. yes uh, thank you uh captain ketchell you brought up georgia a a uh i think you said a a, a supervisor's race one precinct the husband and wife voted and they found out they didn't vote what was the what was the ultimate outcome of that uh con- was there a conclusion madam chair senator Borelli. The race in Georgia, that candidate lost badly. That was for a local 
house seat in, in the state. And I think it was in DeKalb County. Now, as far as anyone taking it seriously, no, Georgia is, is right around where Arizona is on pursuing, not at the legislative level, but at the top. Georgia is right around where Arizona or Wisconsin or Michigan or Pennsylvania are in not taking election issues seriously. Georgia, of course, was was right after Arizona in the 2020 election cycle and continuing breaking from their normal standard to count votes for days on end until the results again flip. So, no, there was no real resolution to that issue, and she's not the only whistleblower in the state to come forward. Okay. You have a follow-up? Yes, I think you misunderstood me. I think it was a supervisor race. A candidate came in third, and then when they they did a deep dive and found out that she didn't have any votes in her own precinct or her husband and wife, they voted for each other, or he voted. they both voted, and there was no vote registered. And when they did a hand count, Turns out she actually won the race. Is that the you, that the other county you're not thinking of, Madam Chair, Senator? That that is probably not the same race that we have in mind. But I do know from Georgia that a governor's candidate named Candace Taylor had sixty thousand adult volunteers helping her campaign and got forty one thousand votes. So it's natural that people with issues like these or statistics like I've shown have issues concerning the transparency of elections. So so that you all know, we do have to break now, but. We will be reconvening promptly at 1 p.m. Okay, and I have an announcement. Um, Normally, during our floor session, we recognize the doctor of the day who happened to just walk in, and he's also my doctor. Dr. Ron Lee, would you stand up? This is a man who stands for medical freedom. And if you have any issues, you can see him in the break. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, but uh, that's our doctor of the day, Dr. Ron Lee. We will, will reconvene at 1 o'clock, and uh, we do invite you to participate in the March for Life if you're so inclined. All right. Wow. So <laughs> I fired this up with very little knowledge of uh, what we were getting into today, and it turns out this is going to go on for a long time. This this is going to go till I, my time, like 7 o'clock at night. <laughs> so... I didn't know what I was getting myself into here, but now we have a two-hour break. Um, I think what we'll do here is we'll recap what what was just uh, shared for those of you that are coming in late, and maybe cover a news story or two, and then I'm just going to let the recess, I'm just going to get out of the screen and probably go hang out with my family for the rest of the recess, unless Mr. Behizzi jumps in, who I just sent the link, and I see him in the chat. So, all right, so we had two presentations, one from Mr. Uh, Seth Keschel, Captain Keschel, the GOAT of elections. And effectively, you know, the, the big thing here was Seth Keschel presented that in the 2020 election, we had more new voters than in like any election ever. 800,000 new voters uh, cast a ballot in this one election cycle. 800,000 new votes in the 2020 election, right? And so we saw this massive turnout, and a lot of people were questioning how how the hell is this possible? Well, following the election, what they told us is that, well, you had all these people, uh, you know, moving from California to Arizona that I guess they left California because they hate the liberal uh, destruction that's happened there. So they moved to Arizona and then vote for Democrats in Arizona, right? (laughs) I mean, that already doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, 
you know, they told us that there was uh, a lot of people flocking to Arizona, and that's why you saw this massive turnout. Well, Seth Cashel completely debunked that and said, per the actual census data, when you look at how many people actually moved to Arizona, uh, Arizona grew by fewer people uh, uh, the last decade than any decade since the 60s. So you had a decade where there was not a major increase in new Arizona residents, but yet you had massive turnout, <laughs> which is not consistent whatsoever. And it's not because of COVID and mail-in voting, specifically in Arizona, Maricopa County, uh, comprising like 60% of the population. They've had mail-in voting for years. It's not a new thing. And it is the, it is the main way that people have voted in, in Arizona for quite a while. So it wasn't COVID and it wasn't, uh, people moving from California. So where does this massive turnout come from? Well, we know where it comes from, and it's something called phantom votes, right? And and this was proven by Liz Harris and her canvassing effort. We saw, you know, Liz Harris and her, and her canvassers going door to door asking people, hey, did you vote in the past election? And if they say yes, okay, by which method did you vote? Did you vote by mail or did you vote in person, right? And what we found was they were going door to door and finding Thousands of people that, uh, you know, according to the, the, the Secretary of State's record says you voted in the last election. But when we ask, when we go to the voter, they say, no, I didn't vote in the last election. So what we know how this work, we know how this works. It's the dirty voter rolls. Right. And then they're assigning fake votes to these people that are on the voter rolls that don't vote. And so. um you know, th this was all about presenting evidence to the legislature, to the committee, the joint committee, and saying, these are your problems. Here's the evidence. And you, we want you to take this information and pass new laws to tighten election security. Now, I know what you're thinking. This is a the big problem here is that you have an unelected, uh, illegitimate governor who's going to veto all of those bills. And so that's why I think it's really important that Seth Keschel said, out of my 10 points um, of on election integrity, the most important thing is cleaning the voter rolls and pushing for transparency. Because those are two things that I think that you can actually get bipartisan support. Mr. Behizzy, what do you got? What do you got there, a little green... I have this toy. I, I I had to destroy it, but I've been playing with it, man. It's one of those things that stretches and then you put it back. Yeah, yeah. My one year old son has one of those. Oh man, it's 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 amazing. I had to stretch it out because I, I just mess with it too much. How you doing, man? I'm doing I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm going on vacation next week. You got fatter? A little bit, a little bit. Where where? Where are you going on vacation? Jamaica, baby. Oh shoot, man. We've been we plan we've been planning this one for a long time, and uh, you know we're getting away from the baby, putting everything down. Whoa, so, you're putting the baby down? Putting them down. We're just leaving them. What the heck, man? We got the dogs to watch them. <laughs> He's just like, man, you're a grown man. You <laughs> take care of yourself. 
Yeah, so we're I'm I'm excited and my head's already out the door. Like I don't care about the news. <laughs> I'm just I'm just ready to go, man. But we had this big presentation today, so we had to fire this thing up. What did you think about what was presented? Well, I, I honestly just found out because I looked at ad back at your telegram. I I didn't know this was going on. Nick, I've been in video mode, man. I've been squeezing my my five views on on YouTube, dude. It's it's been amazing. You know, I've been shadow banned on that. I've, I've just been having fun. I've been posting videos on Rumble, uh, no live streams, and I've been following this Ohio thing. So I'm completely out of the loop with Arizona, apart from the lawsuit. Well, I I mean, Seth kind of told us about this, but he didn't tell us any details. I don't know if you're you're in the group chat. That's what I'm saying, Nick. I don't read the messages. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, there wasn't much to read. He, he was just like, big thing on Thursday. You know, keep an eye out. So I was excited for this, but I had no idea what was going to be presented here. Yeah. But, well, I mean, the I, I like your, your assessment of the whole Californians moving to Arizona. I guess it sets uh, assessment. But that's what I've been saying. For a while, I mean, in order for that to be true, that Californians are changing all these states, one, it means every single Californian moving has to be a full-blown Democrat, and two, it means all of them. So it can't be a family of four and two kids and a wife and a husband. You know, it has to be five full-grown adults that can vote, and they're all full-blown Democrats, and they actively participate in elections, and they all have to move to the same counties. So this you know, this Californian thing has had always been stupid to me. It's the same excuse with Colorado. Oh, Californians moved here. Really? If a Californian is fleeing California because of liberal policies, there's a decent chance they're not all Democrats. I mean, one in three registered voters in California, I believe, is a Republican, right? They have the most registered Republicans in the country. So there is still, like, decent chances that a Californian moving out of California it's going to be a Republican. Like, I don't know. Well, yeah, exactly. That's the whole point of this premise that doesn't make sense. If you're going to flee a state because you don't like the policies, you're not going to vote for those policies in the new state unless you're a total idiot. Exactly. So that's the bizarre nature of it. Wait, you said this was going on till 7 p.m.? Yeah, I had no idea. I thought I was just going to watch a quick presentation here from a couple people I like. But, yeah, this is supposed to – they're going to recess until, um, what, 1 p.m. Arizona time, so 3 Eastern, and then go until 7 p.m. my time. 7 p.m. your time. Yeah, so I, I don't know if I'm going to live stream this whole thing. I think we'll do a quick synopsis, and then Badlands Media, they're covering it as well. And they're, I, I texted CanCon, and he is – they are, they are going to live stream it, like, all night. So, um, Wait. but, yeah, so – we. Eric Spikine, what did he say? Yeah, I didn't see that one coming. So you had Eric Spikine. Now, you guys know we've had Eric Spikine on for an interview, and you were there, right? And we, we there, was a, there was a certain somebody that didn't want us to do that interview, but we did it anyway. Okay, now, now the whole world knows Eric Spikine. And uh, basically, he talked about his findings in Maricopa, in Allegheny County, in Fulton County, Pennsylvania, in Georgia, and... A lot of people still don't know this, though, that Eric Spikine actually worked on the audit in Maricopa County, but his findings were completely buried 
by Karen Fan and her attorney, Corey Langhofer, and the uh, uh, attorney general in Arizona never even bothered to contact him. Not a phone call, not a nothing. You know, what he found in Maricopa County was pretty astonishing. First of all, he found 61 batches where 90% of the votes went for one candidate. And he also found 20, uh, something like 25,000 ballots that were not printed using the original Dominion PDF document. Now, that could mean a lot of things, but see, see, whenever there's an election, they have the election file and it includes like PDF documents. They're from Dominion and those are the PDF files that you're supposed to use to print ballots. It's an official document, right? Like, there's not supposed to be any ballots printed that are not using this official document. Well, he found ballots that had, um, like, they weren't they weren't perfect looking. They were uh, distorted and blurry. Mm. And he saw that not only were there there were a bunch of blurry, distorted ballots, but they were all identically blurry and identically distorted. So it's not it's it's not likely that there was like a real ballot that was photocopied 25,000 times because it would just deteriorate, you know, over and over and over. Right. Uh it, it they wouldn't be identical. So what he thinks is that there was some sort of fake PDF that was created or something to that effect. And this this implies 25,000 counterfeit ballots were inserted. But and I talked to Doug Logan about this, and Doug Logan told me, rem- remember Doug Logan uh, got a bunch of crap because he dropped some things from the final audit report from pressure from uh, Karen Fan's attorneys? Right. That's what it was. Hmm. That was the big the big bombshell. Well, you know, I, I always had a question about that. I mean, in order for him to have determined that, he took, they had ballot images, uh, and he analyzed them, right? From the, the 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 images that were taken by Wake TSI, right? Yeah, why? So that they're not the ballot scans; right. they're the actual forensic images taken during the audit that he examined. Right. Why didn't he just tell us uh, which direction those ballots went for? Like those twenty five thousand. I feel like that would have been the big bombshell. I don't. I don't know. I, I I I don't know why we don't ever get that answer. And I I asked. I asked for it, but I never got an answer. Never got an answer. Ah, that's that's how it feels, man. So, well, we well, we do know the batches that were sorted, where ninety percent were for one candidate. It was fifty-eight batches went ninety percent for Biden, and three batches went ninety percent for Trump. So you had a few batches that were heavily weighted for Trump, but you would think that you know if you're going to insert all these ballots, you're going to Try try to uh, weight it a little bit so that it's not totally noticeable. Right. So there were some for Trump, but like 58 out of 61 were for Biden. 58. Oof. Batches, batches. Yeah. Of, 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 I think, 200. Dude, uh, man. So what's, what's with the 7 p.m., like eight hours, essentially? Who's talking? Seth the whole time? So let me pull this up. I'll show you what the no. I think uh, Seth might continue a little bit. 
when we come back. But here's here's what we got. Wait, why can't I scroll down? Because uh, it's inside the PDF. So there's a scroll on there, and you got to use that one. Hold on, Boomer Nick. Yeah, I'm the I'm I'm so technologically retarded. I started my show today with no sound and talked for five minutes with no sound. Okay, right. so here's the agenda. Wait, really? <laughs> you just started live and you were just talking to you? <laughs> yeah. I, and then I just deleted the whole show and started over. <laughs> so we have here's where we're at right now. We have recess until 1 p.m. Arizona time, which is 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Right. When we come back, the, the state legislature's Plenary power over federal elections within Arizona. That sounds a little boring. Well, well, Nick, uh, I know you think that that sounds boring, but that that has direct implications with Harper v. Moore. Uh, but, but but another point here, because the independent state legislature theory, the North Carolina Supreme Court, which flipped from Democrat to Republican, agreed to hear the case again which means the, this case that the U.S. Supreme Court is considering could already be considered and ruled upon by the North, North Carolina Supreme Court that is now Republican. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're, you're, you're starting to speak gibberish. Okay. So wait, Harper v. Moore, what's the brief synopsis of that case? I'm familiar with it, but maybe not everybody is. Harper v. Moore is a case brought by the North Carolina Supreme Court. The lady in the case, Harper, that's her last name, filed a lawsuit against the state uh, speaker, Speaker of the House, Moore, Speaker Moore, um, for the redistricting map saying gerrymandering took place. So they went to court and through numerous court battles in the lower courts, you had judges tossing out their map and it went all the way to the North Carolina Supreme Court and they tossed out their entire redistricting map. They said, start over. So the state legislature is like, hey, we're the state legislature. The Constitution gives us plenary authority and power over elections, and we can decide election maps without judges like yourselves interacting and stopping us and preventing us from doing our job. So they went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and asked SCOTUS to reconsider the case. And SCOTUS accepted to hear the case, which is unprecedented. And we know they're likely to rule in the legislature's favor. Now, what happened recently, I think two months ago, was in the midterms, the Republicans retook the Supreme Court in North Carolina. It was Democrat, and now it's Republican. And then the the Speaker, Moore, asked uh, this new Supreme Court to consider the case, and they said yes, which means if SCOTUS were to hear the case, it's considered moot. So their ruling is of no effect because the case could already be decided upon by the state Supreme Court. The whole point of SCOTUS hearing the case is because the North uh, North Carolina Supreme Court ruled one way, but now they're reconsidering it and they could rule our in, in Moore's favor, the Speaker's favor, and rule in favor of the state legislature. So Harper v. Moore, which we thought would change the entire country, right. the interpretation of the state legislature's power, could completely fall apart if the North Carolina Supreme Court hears it and decides in our favor. Okay, so um, now, what would be the implications? Why do we want the uh, the federal Supreme Court to rule 
that uh, state legislatures have plenary power over federal elections? Because it would give them a broader power or at least uh, confirm that they do have a power beyond, you know, anything else. So if they decide we're not doing mail-in ballots, they wouldn't need a governor's approval for a new law to repeal the past laws. Wow. They could run elections by themselves through resolutions, through uh, like appointing boards, like, you know how the Wisconsin election commission works. The legislature could in theory, like just work and run, run elections by themselves. Wow. So especially in Arizona, where we're talking about how these bills that they want to pass are not going to get through Katie Hobbs's veto. Right. If the Supreme Court says, yeah, Katie with her veto, man, ugh. if the Supreme Court says the legislature has a broad power to run elections and judges and, you know, governors and other branches shouldn't have much of a say in that, then if they want to get rid of machines, they write up a resolution. And if they say yes, then machines have to go. Uh, there's have, have you actually read the decision on the uh, state Supreme Court rejecting um, Moore's argument or Harper's argument? Well, they just agreed that the map was, um, well, the case was never about this broad power in the first place. The, the case was about the redistricting map. But then the North Carolina's uh, House's argument is we have this power to redistrict without the courts. So if SCOTUS says the courts shouldn't be involved in this uh, legislative action, then that, that just that's a broad power that they agree to. So I have not read uh, the decisions, but I, well, I know the case was originally about redistricting. Yeah, be- because I'm wondering here, what possible argument could they make to to reject that argument? Because if you look at the Constitution, it's pretty clear the legislature sets the time, place, and manner of how elections are conducted. It doesn't say anything about, uh, you know, if if the legislature passes a districting map that we don't like, then the courts can overturn it. That doesn't true. I, I mean, you, I the only basis you I could think of is if they somehow conducted uh, uh, elections in a manner that was unconstitutional. Right. And that, that's that's the, that's a good point. If it's unconstitutional, then, yeah, the courts can intervene. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I wanted to know what the decision was, because I, I don't understand how they how, how they could possibly reject that argument. Exactly. When they clearly have the power already. I mean, it doesn't even have to be decided by the Supreme Court. It's it's written right in the Constitution. And that's why we're we were I was super optimistic that well if SCOTUS hears this, they're clearly gonna rule in the legislature's favor. And that's gonna have a crazy great effect across the country. I mean, is the Pennsylvania legislature still red? That I'm not sure. Pennsylvania. Uh, well I know Wisconsin had a flip. Wait, hold on. No, that was uh, Minnesota. Wait, I think Republicans, it was Michigan. Yeah. They lost, uh, I think both houses, I think, I don't know, but it would, it would actually bring changes to the country because the legislature is having the ability to make those decisions. It would one stop judges from last minute decisions I think most of these legislatures will create election boards like the Wisconsin Election Commission. 
where they appoint the members. And those boards would act like the new secretaries of states. I mean, the secretary of state position, they're supposed to maintain records, you know, be like a secretary of the state. And now they're this great authoritarian who has complete say over elections with election manuals. I think every election manual written by secretary of state shouldn't shouldn't be written by them. It's it's just illegal. It's unconstitutional. I think election manuals should be written by the state legislature and the secretary of state, her job or his job is to maintain the records. Yeah, I was looking up whether or not the Republicans control the legislature in uh, Pennsylvania, and they do. They still do? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that, that would... Things like that would be amazing, but if uh, the North Carolina Supreme Court rules in the Speaker's favor, then that would make SCOTUS's decision moot, which means pointless since, well, they already got the decision they wanted, so you just ruling on it. So they might just end up, you know, ignoring the case. Oh, no, they don't. No, they, they control the Senate, but they, they don't control the House. So they lost the House. By one vote. Oh, see, that's where it starts, Nick. They take the executive positions because the legislative positions aren't as crucial because the legislature, you know, well, they write the laws, but what matters is who enforces the law. Much like it doesn't matter who votes. It's more important who counts the votes. So who enforces the law is the same logic. So they take over those governor positions, those district attorney positions, and they breed lawlessness, right? So anyone can harvest a gazillion ballots. And, and that's the point. You know, Nick, I don't think I've ever we've ever had this conversation, but when they talk about ballot harvesting, they say, well, it's not illegal if it's your family members ballots and your friends. Wait, can you ballot harvest your friends ballots? No. Well, it depends on the state. OK, in Arizona, let's take Arizona. In the state of Arizona, I believe it's restricted to um like your immediate relatives in your house. In your house. Okay, so when they have these people showing up with five ballots, like how often is it, I mean, I might be wrong, that you just have five 18-plus-year-olds in the same household, in the same, like how often do you see that? And sometimes they bring seven ballots. So is, is someone literally going from their house to their brother's house, to their sister's house and bringing these ballots to the drop boxes. Apparently. So there's just households out there with 10 people living in them. Yeah. 10, not just 10 people, but 10 voting age adults. That's what I'm, I'm so confused about when they bring this argument that, well, no, those are just family members. No, but that's 20 ballots you just put in there. That must be a Mexican household with that many, <laughs> <laughs> that, that many uh, hormonos living there, man. Well, apparently in in Arizona, you can uh, drop off a ballot for you know somebody if you're a relative, if you share a household, or or if you're a caretaker. So, remember what we saw in Wisconsin, where you had them exploiting these uh, cognitively disabled people in nursing homes. Effectively, I guess you can do that legally in Arizona. Wow. Oh, man. Well, I mean, this brings me back to the whole point, this argument, you know, from Scott Presler and others 
that Republicans just need to, you know, start using early voting, mail-in ballots. What Scott Presler or Scott Press, wait, Scott Keschel, wait, is that his name? Scott Keschel, yeah. Dude, Keschel. No, come on. Dude, he just showed us that it's about the voter rolls. It is. And it doesn't even have to be the active voter rolls. There's inactive voter rolls that we don't even know about. That's what needs to be cleaned. It it isn't. That's the case in Wisconsin. Yeah, they have the inactive voter rolls where it's apparently it's one click of a button to switch somebody from inactive to active, and then you could switch them back again after you've cast a ballot for them. And we saw uh, tons and tons of people like immediately after the election being okay. switched back to inactive. What about Arizona? In Arizona, well, in Arizona, regardless of the whole active inactive status, you have massively inflated voter rolls thanks to the eric system you you have dead people people that have moved away completely fictitious people so the whole inactive voter list is kind of irrelevant we still have the same problem anywhere that you have eric managing your voter rolls right and i don't see i don't understand why there would be a pushback to withdraw from eric because eric advertised itself as voter roll management made easy from a third party, you know, you guys don't have to worry about this anymore. We'll take care of it. But if you actually look at the data, you know, in some states like Alaska, they they hadn't removed a single voter in <laughs> in years. And they have more registered voters than they do actual citizens. So they're no, not do, they're not doing their job. Hold on. Repeat that. In Alaska, I think Alaska was like the worst. And it's been a long time since I covered Eric extensively. But I I remember, I think it was Alaska has more registered voters than actual citizens. <laughs> like They're just extremely like, bloated. There's no way that's true till this day, right? Well, I, last time I checked. But the whole, the whole thing about, the whole thing about voter rolls being the key and the most important is because when you cast a ballot, you have to attach it to a registered voter. Right. So if you only have um, real voters, active voters that are that are casting ballots, because remember, another thing they do is people register uh, three election cycles ago and they haven't voted in the last three, right. but they're still on the voter rolls, you can kind of anticipate, okay, this person's not going to vote, so oh, I'm going right. to cast a ballot on their behalf. Is that where Liz Harris's canvassing came in, where they'd ask people, did you vote? How'd you vote? And they'd be like, I didn't. But, but it says here you voted. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, and, the, and the whole time lapse, like in Arizona, where they have uh, two weeks to count the ballots. Well, once all the ballots are in, you know two things, right? You know, one, who voted? And you know, two, who did not vote. So then if you have a bunch of ballots on standby, after everybody's cast their ballot and you have the ability to add ballots after the final deadline and nobody's going to do anything about it, well, then you you can just look at the, the, the voter rolls and say, okay, uh, George, whatever your, <laughs> I don't even know your last name still. <laughs> George, you know, He's 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 been registered. He hadn't voted in the last three election cycles. All the ballots are in. He didn't vote, so I got a fake ballot. I'm going to assign it to him. Huh? 
assign, just assign it to me. Well, and that's the that's the interesting thing about all of this. So you're telling me that in Arizona specifically, they know before the election ends who voted and who didn't. Well, like I'm saying, they have this, this delay. Track. They have two weeks to count the ballots. Okay, so in that, two, okay, that's interesting because the whole theory that if we all vote by mail, you're telling me that they would know who voted and who didn't in that time frame, or they just bring an extra ballot. <laughs> true. That's true. The voters. Yeah, that's true. But but when we vote on, see, it's a double edged sword because when you vote on election day and you drop off your ballot on election day. Then they have the excuse that, well, I'm sorry, we're not going to be done counting tonight because we just got inundated with another million ballots. So it's going to take us an extra two weeks, at least theoretically, if everybody voted by mail, then they may actually count the ballots by the deadline. But there's no winning. Nick, you're a smart guy. Don't you think it's better if we vote on Election Day so they have to try and at least show us that they had the cheat? Because I feel like if we didn't vote on election day, we would see what happened in Pennsylvania over and over again. And what I mean by that is Josh Shapiro winning by what twenty points against Mastriano. No, no one, no one is, no one's questioning that. No one's questioning the fact that Ohio and Pennsylvania are very similar to each other. Pennsylvania has a bigger population, but they're very similar. Lots of uh, rural areas, lots of urban areas, but those numbers are similar from both areas, right? Ohio is extremely Republican, right? They're both in the Middle East. Ohio's right here. Pennsylvania's right here. And then on the other hand, with Ohio being extremely red, you have Pennsylvania that's ex- that's now extremely blue, where from just two years ago, three years, four years ago, it was it was completely different. Six years ago, Trump won. Well, is it six years 2016, we're pushing seven, man. Seven years ago, ooh, that that state was went to Trump by 300,000 votes. I I don't know. It was a lot, Nick. So when 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 they bring in mail-in votes, which they introduced them universally in 2019, you know this, Nick. The state became easier to cheat with. That's what, that's all I'm saying. They have more more to do with now. They know where everyone's voting from. If this whole idea of Republicans voting by mail, I think Van just pooped his pants. No, I got it. I'll be right back. Okay. My brother's taken off. My nephew's taken off. They're going back to Delaware. I got to say goodbye real quick. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, this must be a perfect time to plug based hizzy, man. Be hizzy on Rumble. Come on, baby. So what I was saying before Nick rudely left me is the more mail-in votes they introduce and can garner in the system, the easier it is for them to, well, know where they need to cheat. Oh, we need a few votes here. We need a few ballots here because they're tracking it in real time. I think that's just how it works. I mean, we saw the trucks, dump trucks, dump yards with ballots all over the place. I can imagine none of those ballots came from Democrat precincts, <laughs> the, the precincts that voted 105 percent for Biden. Not a single vote for Trump <laughs> with Trump signs all over people's houses. I think this is a lot easier than we you know, anticipate. 
we give them, we don't give them enough credit for how simple they made this machine. Is Nick here yet? Um, yeah, you can't see me? Dude, no, I, I, my screen was clicked on, on your live stream as opposed to your, yeah, yeah, I was clicking on Rumble. But yeah, I was telling you, wait, you gave him that goodbye that fast? Yeah, well, I already said good. Well, come on, there was, I was supposed to see him for the last time last night, but then they came here for a minute uh, today. So, anyways, wait, it was your brother and your cousin? No, my brother, my nephew, and his fiance. Ah, uh, okay. Well, so going back to my point, I think mail-in votes and early voting actually makes it easier for them. And election day voting actually makes them show us how they they need to cheat. I think if they kept counting election day votes, they, they could have found themselves declaring Carrie Lake the winner because well, all the mail-in ballots already came in. You don't have an excuse to wait two weeks because all the Carrie Lake voters voted on the same day. Whereas if they all voted by mail, then you could have just cheated in the back and gave us the results the next day and it looks normal, just like Pennsylvania just like Georgia with these Senate races. You don't mean to tell me that Brian Kemp outperformed in the black vote against a black guy in Herschel Walker, <laughs> who's an all-star American football player. You can't tell, you can't convince me. No, I'm not going to try to convince you. I, I agree oh. with you. I agree with you. But, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I just see this whole thing as a no-win scenario unless things change. Because now that I, you know, before the 2022 midterms, I was completely on board with we got to vote on election day and overwhelm the system. But that was before I realized that, well, hey, we can just have 60% of the machines break down on election day and nobody's going to do a damn thing about it. Uh, Well, And it can be blatantly obvious right in your face. And everybody knows it. But the same people that said the claims from 2020 were baseless will say that, you know, even when, when, like, the entire election system breaks down and it causes massive disenfranchisement, it's still baseless. You're a conspiracy theorist for thinking that could have affected votes when every machine went down. There's no chain of custody. Yeah. Uh, Voter suppression only, only... Remember, what was his name? Scott Jarrett? Yeah. Yeah, Scott, was it Scott Jarrett or the attorney? Thomas, uh, Thomas, Thomas, Liddy. Thomas Liddy. He said voter suppression is like way back when they would hang somebody or kill somebody in the <laughs> black community and then say, if you, if you go out there and vote, then the same thing's going to happen to you. That's the only time that voter suppression is a valid argument. He literally said that to the judge, and apparently... The judge agrees. Well, you know, I find but, it interesting. Thomas Liddy claims to be a Republican, but he's, you know, in his heart, he's a Democrat. So is Richard, the bald twat, right? They're all, like, actually Democrats. It's interesting that the Democrats of the past prevented black people from voting, you know, through suppression, you know, poll, uh, test. What were those tests called? You'd have to take a literacy test. Uh, post, well, a survey, like a post, post-election survey. No, no, they'd make black people take these tests, and if they didn't pass, they couldn't vote, I believe. I don't, I'm not sure. Well, so those were Democrats in the past, like literally suppressing voters. And now they're doing the same thing, but not to black people that time. They're still doing it where they'll just have machines break down. 
right? And then they're saying that's not voter suppression. Where in the past, they also argued that that's not voter suppression. Democrats don't change. They just evolve and find new enemies. They're still the same people. They're still yeah, but that's not voter suppression. Like in the past, they were arguing that. And now they're arguing the same thing now. Where in 50 years, they'll be saying Republicans of the past suppressed black voters by making machines go. I, I, I kid you not, Nick. Democrats will switch up. And they'll rewrite history. <laughs> right. They'll burn all the books. Pushed, yeah. Republicans push mandates. That's what they're going to do. Republicans were teaching our children to be women or boys to be girls. Yep. Well, it depends whoever whoever wins out. That's who gets to write the history books. That's true. But uh, I believe that we are winning. Just not in the timeline that I would like us to. We're, we're not winning, Nick. And I'm, I apologize for you know bringing you down. But I don't consider this winning. I think we're, we're losing. But it's not as obvious because m- most people move on very quickly. You know, this is my concern before the midterms, that they cheat the midterms in a race like Arizona where we need Carrie Lake. You know how much election reform Carrie would have just been signing? She would have signed bills and worried about the, the, the consequences later. You know, she would have been making them offers they couldn't refuse. She would have been banning Dominion. They did that and got rid of Carrie Lake. And I, I had a fear that for a few months, everyone would be annoyed, pissed off, ready for change. And then maybe a lawsuit would be dismissed and they'd all lose their minds and move on to the next election. Right. Start talking about 2024. And that's exactly what's happening. You did say that. I remember vividly you saying that exact same thing. And that's exactly what what happened. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I hate to say it, but uh, Prophet Hizzy. I told him so. You know, no, that's sad. Because, well, it's about the country we all love and it's getting destroyed and it's getting worse. And people are now moving on to 2024. And what's going to happen in 2024 if nothing changes? The same thing. And then they're going to start talking about 2028 with DeSantis. Right. But is it is it that people forgot or is it that they just don't see a viable way to fix it when every single institution is blatantly corrupt? It's not that anybody's forgotten what happened in 2020 or 2022. And the reason that they've moved on, a lot of it has to do with the fact that Trump announced his campaign and people just assume Trump knows what he's doing and he's got a plan and all all this stuff. If he's running in 2024, Oh, a lot can happen in two years. So let's just kind of wait and see. That's, that's got a lot to do with it, Hmm. but it's, it's also because what have we done? We've, we've, we've exposed the, the apparatus to the point where the people that were really pushing the election fraud evidence are all banned from all the mainstream media platforms, and we we don't have the reach, and now we're, we're pretty much banished to an echo chamber of people that already know this stuff. Uh, we've we filed endless litigation in the courts, right. endless. You know, we, we went from uh, the Kraken to PCAPs to kinematics to freaking bamboo to... 2,000 mules, all this stuff, and people are just tired tired and exhausted. You're right, Nick. They are tired and exhausted. And, see, another thing I realized is we're always telling people to get involved, but what was it with the signature verification that level two or three managers were just approving things? Yep. 
So which is it lower where it's level three or higher to be level three? What, what? No, so so it goes through an initial. There's level one. They're the ones that flag the ballots because of a, appear, what appears to be a mismatch. Then it goes to level two, and level two has the authority to override the level one uh, decision. And if they don't, if the two agree that it's a mismatch, then it goes to curing at level three. How do you become a level three? I don't know. Is it the county that appoints them? But but it's not the level three that have the power. It's the level two managers because the they get to override the decision okay. of the initial flag. So they can, like, let's say you're level one and I'm level two. You say this signature doesn't look like a match. Then it goes to me and I say, looks good to me because they voted for Biden. It's just a scribble line. Yeah, I'm just I'm just going to say, looks good to me, stamp of approval, and then it never goes to curing. Okay, who appoints level two? I don't. I don't know. Does the county? I so how I understand you know election workers is people apply and they get interviewed, get trained. So I'm guessing level one is maybe level ones become level twos at some point. But is it possible that the county themselves handpicks who the level? Because it can't be that many people. Uh, I mean. I mean, I don't imagine it's like a thousand people. It might be like fifty. I think it's probably the elections, uh, elections director or elections supervisor's office because that's who. When when I became a poll watcher or poll deputy, you know, you you go to training and then out of the people that are trained and ready to go, there's a pool and then they select them. You know, you get you get you get your job assignment based on someone else's decision. So. You think that's it's the director in Maricopa County? It, well, in my in my county, it's the election supervisor. So yeah, yeah. So wh- why I brought that up is we talk to people about getting involved, but if your involvement can basically be overshadowed by a level two who was appointed by the the corrupt elections director, handpicked, then that's really the screw up here. And now we're back at the, back to the whole. What are we supposed to do? I, I, why, why, why am I saying this? I think I say these things to give people, to make people feel as though, damn, they really got everything under control. So, so we can start giving out real solutions. Because when I hear things like, we need a, we need a vote by mail. I'm thinking to myself, we might need a revolution in this country, man. I, I, I'm saying it. <laughs> We might need to we might need to redo January sixth. No, <laughs> dude, don't say that. That's all I'm saying. Hey, well, man. How, how how do we fix broken elections when the only way to fix broken elections is to pass new laws, and the only way to pass new laws is to elect new people using broken elections into those positions? We are moving in a circle here. We'll go. We have a problem, and the only way to get to the problem is to go through the circle and vote. But the only way to vote is to have clean elections, and the only way to have clean elections is to vote. Well, like, th- you're absolutely right, and everybody knows it. Everybody sees that conundrum. Okay, elections are rigged. How do you fix it? You got to elect better people to fix it. It doesn't make any sense. It never did, and it never will. Right. But I, I truly, when I said we were winning, you know, I, I'm not just saying that to be cute. Like I actually believe. I say this all the time that above all else. I believe we're in an information war. So if we're winning on that front, we're winning. And the reason I say that is because this entire agenda that they're pushing, remember COVID, right? Okay. 
what does it require in order for their agenda to move forward? It always requires the compliance of a certain percentage of the population. It requires compliance. You have to comply. Hmm. You have to you, you you have to believe these trusted sources and authorities that are telling you wear a mask, stay six feet apart, you know, get vaccinated. All this crap requires compliance. Same with the when they try to move into the climate change agenda. All that's all that is going to require compliance. So if if we're, even if we have unelected, illegitimate dictators in office that that they they've rigged the election for, um, these restrictions, mandates, uh, laws. I mean, it it, it doesn't like it. It really doesn't. They, they're not in control if ninety ninety five percent of the population rejects the agenda that they're trying to push. So that's why I continue to do this, even even when sometimes I don't feel like it's effective being banished to rumble and, you know, having one percent of the reach that I used to or whatever. Mm. Getting the information out there, reaching people, keeping people informed, waking people up to n- new avenues of corruption. Like we're I mean, we're, we're, we're just waking up to this whole massive infrastructure problem in, in the country. And even though it's an echo chamber over here. I don't think a lot of us knew how bad it was, and um, I, I, I just I just think that exposing this stuff and uh, controlling the narrative and pushing back against the mainstream media apparatus is it's probably it's probably the greatest weapon that we have information. Right, I'd say Elon and Twitter is. Pretty crucial. I mean, I saw CanCon had almost two million views on a tweet. Kanakoa had the entire country, man. He had a tweet with twenty-three million views. Jeez. I'm telling you, man. And Elon Musk is responding, and it was about the train derailment. And CanCon's tweet was about the arrest that recently took place in California, and it extra- extrapolated on you know the fraud that took place. What do you, I have not followed that arrest at all. Are you filled in with the California guy? No. The city councilman that was arrested? No, no, I'm not filled in on that one. Well, let's go on CanCon's Twitter then. Well, apparently it didn't reach everybody because I don't know that. Well, I, I mean, I'm filled in like everyone else, but I'm kind of tired of these, of these things. But if you want to share my screen, I'll read it out. I'm, I'm kind of tired of these one-off arrests, man. <sighs> okay, so the video itself has f- almost 500,000 views. The tweet has 1.5 million impressions. But So the San Joaquin Wa- Sheriff. Joaquin. Yeah, Sheriff discoveries regarding their voter rolls. 93 people were registered with a birth, birth date of 1850. This is California. And hold on, sorry to do this, Nick, but I, I, I'm kind of wondering how. Okay, this county has 789,000 people. Okay, just need to know that. All right, so 233 registered local prisons, 4,000 voters were registered over the age of 90, and there's only 10,000 residents over 80 in that county, and that number should drop off significantly. So 4,000 registered over 90, 125 registered to a nonprofit NGO or business, 
300 voters with no first name. 110. Wait, what? 300 voters with no first name. I, didn't, I just skipped past over that. Like, that's not important. 110 potential double voters, same name, date of birth. Okay. And the guy that was arrested uh, was a city councilman. So this is the video. Do you want me to play it? Yeah, just, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, let's see if you can hear it. So some of the. Can you hear it? No, not really. Oh, okay. I just need to increase the volume. Anomalies that that citizen that, that called the meeting with us uh, pointed out. Um, they noticed that there were about 93 people that were registered to vote or on the voter rolls. Uh, whether they cast about or not, I, we're not going to get into that. Just the fact that they were on the voter rolls with a birth date of 1850. Um, there were 232 people registered to vote with an address um, to our local prisons. Um, there were 4,144 people uh, that were 90 years old and older. Um, there were 125 people registered to vote or on the voter rolls uh, that were registered to or their address comes back to nonprofit NGOs and different businesses. Um, there were 300 people, approximately 300 people with no first name, just the last name. Um, there were about 110 people that were possible double voters, basically the same uh, name, date of birth, address, but two different voter ID numbers. Um, people were voter uh, registered to vote at uh, various shelters and all that. And we even found one person on the voter rolls by the name of Jesus Christ. Wow. Who did Jesus Christ vote for? Yeah, none of this proves that there is um, wrongdoing or anything like that. Well, I, oh, sorry. Uh, we kind of need to, to take a closer look at what our, our voting system is looking like out there. And we're working closely with the Register of Voter. We've brought up these issues with her, um, and she's addressing those on her end, and we've, we're kind of developing a plan because our ultimate goal is to to restore people's faith in the voting system. And so, you know, we're creating a, a relationship with her. And a lot of times people come to us and they say, hey, um, you know, what can we do? Well, my recommendation is create a relationship with the Register of Voter, with your local sheriff, with your board of supervisors, you know, with your DA, and just make sure that your county, whatever you live in, is secure. Well, I, I don't like how he sounds. Oh, there's no evidence of wrongdoing. That is the wrongdoing, you doofus. Right, that right. pissed me off. Yeah, yeah. Well, Nick, I mean, there's people probably thinking in a county of 800,000 people, that's nothing. Well, think about the local races in that, that county, the city. That's where it gets crazy. You know, 200 votes could switch an entire school board. It could switch an entire city council. But that's not even the big point here. The big point here is that that's even a thing. If that's happening in this unknown, irrelevant California county with 700,000 people, which is nothing compared to the millions that live in Los Angeles County and Orange County. Just think about that. That's California. And they use mail-in ballots. So if we can extrapolate that, there's probably way more going on in just that county. They, sh they should look at, you know, the ballot harvesting history. So I guess the um, the city council guy was arrested because he was tied to some of these. I don't know. I get. I don't know. I don't know the history of his arrest, but that's the kind of thing we need. Accountability, man. 
we need someone arrested, right? I'm calling for a revolution, but maybe not the violent revolution. We just need accountability. You know, I really hope Carrie Lake prevails, but, you know, I, I don't think she will. It's sad, but. Oh, th- these are the member states of Eric. I found it interesting. California is not one of them. Yeah, and that's that makes it even crazier. I, I mean, why are these red states even in here? Why is Utah in here? Why is Florida in here? Why does Ron DeSantis get so much credit for managing elections when Florida is a member state of Eric, uses voting machines, has ballot harvesting, uh, mail-in voting, literally everything that allows you to rig an election? Yeah, and... I think what's happening in Harris County, Texas, could be critical. I mean, they're close to a, a new election from similar issues to Arizona. I mean, they had bigger ones because people genuinely couldn't vote. and There wasn't enough time to vote. Well, I wouldn't say they're close to a new election. I mean, you had uh, Governor Abbott calling for one. Oh, he called for it. He's not pushing for it, though. Not that I know of. I mean, he he could say I'm not going to sign any legislation until we have a new election or put some pressure on. But basically, the the only thing that he's done is tweet about it. But it's still it's still better than Doug Ducey bag, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doug Ducey invited Katie Hobbs to his office two seconds after the election was declared, even though all those issues took place. He never even mentioned them. Yeah, he never mentioned anything. The whole time the audit was going on back in 2020, he, ne- he never said a word about anything. But he refused to call a special session when it came down to it. When, you know, he was the governor and you had Republican uh, one majority in the House and Senate, you know, when they could have actually done something about it, he refused. You won't believe but- this, man. <laughs> Jankon's reading Q drops. <laughs> <laughs> My boy can't come, man. What are you doing, Brian, man? What, what do you mean? Where is he reading the Q-Drops? On their live stream. He's, <laughs> the Badlands. He's reading Q-Drops. I love uh, you, Brian. I love you, man. It's it's all good. It's all good. He's reading I, I, refuse to, I refuse to say anything bad about Mr. Cancon. But that's, yeah, I was watching him last night. Oh, Cancon's, uh, he was swearing. He was, he was having... I mean, he's uh, gotten into this J6 thing. And what are your thoughts on Kevin McCarthy releasing that? To yeah, I, cover, I, I covered that on uh, my Monday show. And I thought it's a little problematic, not because of Tucker Carlson, but think of it this way. When you give Fox News the exclusive, first of all, it, it, everything that gets put out there has to go through a team of lawyers and people in black suits. Exactly. And we know that because Catherine Engelbrecht, Went on it. Went on Tucker Carlson to talk about the cell phone cell phone geolocation ping data, and came out and said that lawyers told her, "What was she specifically not allowed to say? Election. She wasn't allowed to say election fraud, or even mention the movie Two Thousand Mules." Right. Um. So we know that they're curating what's allowed to go on Tucker Carlson's show, but also because we need this to happen quickly. And when you give Fox News the exclusive and they have no competition, no incentive to get the story out there as quickly as possible, then you have a situation where Fox wants to improve its ratings and its profit. So they're going to slowly bleed this out as slowly as possible. 
to maximize the amount of profit that they can squeeze out of this. They're going to release it on January 6, 2024. <laughs> yeah, if we're lucky. Right. But yeah. I'd like to put, you know, uh, Tucker's been pretty pointed and pretty direct at calling out the Jan 6 PSYOP. I mean, he put out that um, that documentary about it, but it was behind a paywall on Fox Nation. So is this going to be behind a paywall? Because if it is, I, I'm going to be so infuriated. Why can't we FOIA request that footage? I mean, why should Fox News gain exclusive access to public material from a con- con- from Congress? I mean, the people's house. Shouldn't the people be getting that? Nah. Then Kevin McCarthy, you know, that, that was a huge mistake. His first L, to be fair, speaker, taking a lot of W's. What was his first L? Well, this. <laughs> giving it to Tucker? No, I think he should have given it. Just make a website, January6footage.com. Show yeah, it to everyone. I, I did hear a good valid argument as to why it needs to be centrally controlled. And it was from Jennifer Asper, and she said, you know, if if they did that, so here, here, what are we going to do? We're going to get this footage, and we're going to put it out there to our audience on Rumble. Meanwhile, George Soros is going to pay activists to clip snippets out of context and beat us 10 times over the head with the entire mainstream media apparatus and all these libtard activists with, you know, billions of people that they can reach on YouTube defeating then the actual narrative and just reaffirming the psyop propaganda. So That's a good point. What about Newsmax? Just give it to you know the, trustworthy outlets. That's what I'm saying. It could have been a handful of outlets, you know, it could have been War Room, could have been the Marco Polo guys, Tucker Carlson, uh Newsmax. It could have been all of them You're could, right. Because not only would that um not only would that it would it would it would facilitate more trust, but it would also create competition between the outlets. I want to get the story. I want to beat Fox to the punch. I'm I'm Bannon's War Room or Epic Times. I want to get the exclusive. I want to get the story out there first. Right. Just don't give it to the Gateway Pundit. They're going to single out all the. Platforms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. The oh, Gateway Pundit. Pundit, man, they just be doing that Asian hate. Oh, I think they stopped, man. No, 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 that that was that was a thing for a while. It was yeah. when they were saying that there were there was a bunch of uh, xenophobic hate or whatever. the The mainstream media was trying to peddle that narrative. So the Gateway Pundit, their way to combat it was like. No, look, it's actually black people. Yeah. Look, here's a black guy. He killed an Asian guy. Here's yeah. another black guy. He just beat up an old lady. And he robbed her. He robbed the bank in this Asia town. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think now what they do is uh, just um, vaccine deaths, which is probably the best use of that, you know, counter narrative. I, I, dude, I see it so often. Like this 20 year old athlete just dies. You know, I, I watch soccer and. Uh, this one of this one of the most popular soccer players in the world. Thankfully, he's back. Christian Eriksen, uh, he just went down, collapsed, couldn't play for months. Everyone thought his career was over. Um, my team had two players. Uh, one of them just recently had myocarditis, or no pericarditis, which I guess is a slightly less worse version of myocarditis. 
And these are healthy guys in their 20s. And that's outrageous. So the Gateway Pundit does a great job. And they're one of the few outlets covering 2020 and black on Asian crime. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, they, you know, they make some blunders here and there. But uh, again, they are one of the only outlets to cover certain topics. And I give them I give them a pass a lot of the times. But you always have to whenever the Gateway Pundit publishes a, a story and they're citing another article, the best thing you can do is just click the link to the actual article that they're citing, <laughs> you know, because they're probably going to add their own opinions on top of it and maybe miss crucial details. So whenever they post an article, it, basically the gateway pundit is just retweeting, you know, with a little commentary. That's their whole platform. They're retweeting other articles. There's very few exclusive stories from the gateway pundit. Apart from Cam- Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> don't throw up man Nick what do you think oh my god I actually wanted to talk about this this is this <laughs> this chick is disgusting like cringe so cringy man it's made me creepy. want to jump out of my skin it's creepy man does everybody know who that is she is the four person in the Georgia grand jury Emily Coors I think that's how you say her name and she's this creepy, attention-seeking narcissist and a, apparently a Wiccan, and she she practices like black magic and witchcraft. She's leading the grand jury in Georgia, and she looks no older than twelve. I don't know how she, I don't know how she got picked for this, but uh, Let's she went on a little media tour, and she absolutely destroyed any chance of uh, this witch hunt in Georgia resulting in any criminal charges. And here's why: so we have oh, a witch hunt they should be hunting is her. Yeah, exactly. Did you personally want to hear from the former president? I wanted to hear from the former president, but honestly, I kind of wanted to subpoena the former president because I got to swear everybody in. And so I thought it'd be really cool to get 60 seconds with President Trump of me looking at him and being like, do you solemnly swear? And me getting to swear him in? I just, I kind of just thought that would be an awesome moment. I can see how trying to get the former president to come talk to us would have been a year in negotiation by itself. So it sounds like that was ultimately a battle that you all decided not to wage. Exactly. That's, that's kind of how it ended up was that. And I'd be fascinated by what he said, but do you think he would have come in and said anything groundbreaking or just the same kind of thing we've heard? So at some point you don't need to hear 50 people say the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? At some point you, kind of start to get the gist <laughs> that wasn't even the worst she she went on like a full tour she gave uh like five different interviews and she she one she publicly disclosed that the grand jury was was considering charges is, on, on 12, 12 i got an echo. echo you do yeah yeah make, it, make stop. it stop you have an echo because i don't have headphones you shouldn't have an echo, Nick. We've been doing this thing this whole time. No, no I can I hear, can myself. hear myself. Why? Why can you hear yourself, Nick? I don't I know. Don't. Fix it. Wait. Now I can't. Oh, it was how loud my speakers were. They were louder because the I had to play. You had me tripping, thinking it was on my end. Okay, so you're telling me if I increase my volume on my speakers, you hear yourself? 
Yes. Okay. Absolutely. That's good future reference. If we're ever having an argument, I'll just turn you up and... And I can mute you. So anyways, so yeah, this chick, man, this chick, like, she completely destroyed any prospect of them actually pursuing... Well, they they might still pursue charges, but every one of the defendants is going to have an out. They're going to be able to file motions and at the very least delay, 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 delay this into oblivion by the motions because... You know, they want to charge Trump before 2024. It it, it ain't going to happen. Um, and they want to get some sort of guilty verdict on somebody by 2024 connected to Trump. And it's not going to happen because um, literally she just she just destroyed it. I mean, she publicly disclosed names, specific names of people they were considering pursuing. She sounds like a giddy freaking teenage girl after prom talking about subpoenaing Trump, you know, and. She spoke about specific people and how they testified, and you're not supposed to talk about grand jury deliberations at all. It makes you wonder, one, why did she go to the media in the first place? And two, why would CNN, MSNBC, and all these outlets allow this to happen and completely sabotage um, this this entire thing? I, you know, it, it was so bad that I actually read left lefties on Twitter trying to cope with this and and say like they were so flabbergasted they're coming up with conspiracy theories saying <laughs> she she must have got bribed by a trump alley to go public and muddy things up <laughs> like, i swear they're they're trying so hard to cope with this and then a lot of the other ones are like i don't think it was actually bad i feel i think that people are just blowing this out of proportion and i truly i truly hope that this doesn't affect the grand jury blah 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 <laughs> dude oh man those are the people that you know have trump working having sleepless nights man thinking about next indictments investigations ah oh, man yeah those are the those are the people like we got them this time with the grand jury thing they're they're trying to cope so hard with the fact that she just completely destroyed any chance of anything materializing and you know what's you know what's so ironic to me if you listen to her statement about how she she said, you know, after describing her excitement to issue a subpoena to the president, like a giddy little teenage girl, uh, and showing her clear bias, she said that she would be sad if nothing happens. Like, you know, basically, I don't care what happens if they if they get somebody for perjury, fraud, you know, hell, I I, I don't care. Charge him for jaywalking for all I care. I just want something to happen. And the reason is because she said, well. I've just invested too much time into this. Uh, you know, I, I've heard from too many witnesses. Everybody here has spent so much time on this. You know, we we have seventy five witnesses, an eight month eight month long investigation. So if nothing happens, it'll all be a big waste of time. That's her argument as to why somebody needs to be charged. And and my my thought about that is, yeah, you're damn right. It was a waste of time, but it's not because of Trump. It's a waste of time because of Fannie Willis. And this entire witch hunt that was fabricate based on fabricated evidence, doctored evidence of a phone call with Trump and Brad Raffensperger, where the Washington uh, Post took a snippet, doctored it, and then put out an article out of context that they later had to retract saying Trump was asking for votes from Brad Raffensperger, when in fact, if you listen to the whole call, which was like an hour long, 
Trump was basically saying, look, you got problems with uh, your, your voter rolls, duplicate ballots, mail-in fraud, blah, 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 blah. And the margin's only like 11,000-something votes. So I'm only asking you to address one of these issues. Just one. Pick one. Take your pick. Because any one of those would put me over the margin of victory if you just address some of the fraud. I'm not asking you to deal with all the fraud. Just deal with some of the fraud. Oh, and they you, try to take that and say that he was asking Brad Raffensperger to give him votes. Hmm. The whole thing is fabricated, and the grand jury's eight long, eight month long investigation is a waste of time. But it's not because of Trump. Hmm. Because of Trump, Nick. I I I need some context. How do where do those numbers come from? Because back then I remember, oh, they were the Secretary of State's numbers. But where did the you know? 10,000 or this dead voters, where did those come from? What, in the early stages after the election? Oh, so the phone call. Trump's asking for all these, uh, you just said it. Well, first of all, you had Ruby Freeman on camera, so that was a big one. You know, if he's he's saying just, just address the Ruby Freeman thing, he's saying, you know, you guys are shredding ballots, and there's been uh, voters purged from the voter rolls and stuff, stuff like that, so but the main the main one was uh, Ruby Freeman. Okay, at but the what time. About the other numbers you saying, oh, dead voters. How do we know uh, get those numbers? That I'm not. I'm not. I don't remember that vividly. I have to. <clears throat> my memory is not as good as say Cancons. I have to go back and refresh. But there was a lot of issues that we knew immediately after the election. You know, we we had. Um, what wasn't there some sort? Oh, we had immediately after the election, we had affidavits from uh, seasoned poll workers alleging pristine ballots. Oh, uh, you know, and, we had all kinds of stuff. And we, uh, what about the Garland case? Have you followed, looked into that? Um, or is it too bad we ripped up all the ballots? No, I, I did contact um, Mr. David Cross who works, you know, directly with Garland Favorito and Voter GA. Mm. And I asked him, I said, did they preserve the ballots or did they destroy them after the 24-month mark? And he said he believes that they've been preserved. Oh, but, okay. But re- you, you do remember, though, when there was they were being stored in a warehouse and there was, like, one security door. officer. Door was open. In between shifts, the door was open, the alarm was going off, and this was after... Uh, Judge Brian Amaro had ruled to unseal and allow the ballot inspection. (laughs) So I do remember that. You know, Neil, I was talking to Neil the other night, and he told me something that blew my mind. So I don't know how this went, but apparently the Senate Sergeant at Arms, I don't know if you know this, and if you do, then I look stupid. The Senate Sergeant at Arms died like a night before he was supposed to testify. And Mitch McConnell wanted to fire him. And Chuck Chuck Sniffer said, as soon as I become majority leader in the Senate, I'm going to fire this Senate uh, Sergeant at Arms. So the Sergeant at Arms is appointed by the majority leader of that Senate. So the theory that I have, he died like, I think a few nights or the night before he was supposed to testify. I mean, he wasn't that much older, but people were saying he was going to come in and testify 
basically vindicating a lot of these J6ers. That's the theory I came up with. No one's saying that. But he died nights before. It went under the radar, but I think it was bizarre. Yeah, a lot of people died surrounding January 6th. You, you could be right about that. Wasn't there like three officers that died like after January 6th from strokes and suicide? Yeah, like Stenger. people were committing suicide? Yeah, Michael Stenger, right? He resigned after the J6 so-called insurrection. But he died on June 28th, 2022. And that was like days before he was supposed to come in and testify about what he saw and experienced at the Capitol. I mean, he was diagnosed with cancer and had been ill. But, I mean, the Associated Press had said his condition and the reason he died was anonymous. Like, no one really knows why he died or how he died. Yeah, I find that one odd. It reminds me of that uh, Bill Clinton associate who was found with a bullet in his chest hanging from a tree, and they ruled it suicide. You know, there's a lot of funny, well, there's a lot of strange coincidences where uh, people who who have information that could potentially be damaging to, you know, these deep state people, uh, they just mysteriously die suddenly. Oh, and what about the uh, the Clinton? That's what I just said. Was it a friend? It was It was who introduced him to Epstein. I thought that was a different thing. The shotgun to his chest? That's who you're talking about? That's what, Yeah, that's who I'm talking about. It was, a, it was a Clinton Epstein mutual friend associate that he was found hanging. He was found hanging with a, with a bullet hole in his chest. But they rolled it a suicide. Dude, I, I swear, I, I felt like I was listening, but I was in the twilight zone trying to find out who's who this sergeant at arms was. What, 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 the five people killed in, I don't know if this is connected, but these bio-environmentalists going over to Ohio, five of them died in a plane crash. In a crash. plane crash, yeah. What, what's up with that one? You think that's connected? It's awfully strange, isn't it? Well, I mean, these small planes, I mean, the argument could be they crash a lot. I mean, there's a, but I mean, why, why now? Like, why, why only when there's a story that we need answers to? Seems to happen a lot. That's, that's all I'm saying. I mean, you can't, you can't just throw this stuff out there and, and with, with no proof, but when, uh, you have one, two coincidences, fine. But when you have like a hundred or a thousand, where this is a continuous thing that just happens all the time, you you have to start asking questions. Just like yeah. we don't know for sure that Demar Hamlin dropped, uh, yeah, ha- had a cardiac arrest on the field because of the vaccine, but there certainly is a massive uptick in healthy young individuals dropping dead after the vaccine. So you, you I, have. To- I don't like these people that say, "Oh, that's not really him." That's yeah, what's up? I don't. I never even gave that any attention because. I mean, how do, how do you prove that stuff? This Yeah, yeah. How, how do you go as far as to say, okay, this is some deep fake person and all the people around him aren't seeing him. His family isn't seeing him. I mean, if someone in his family came out and said, that's not Damar Hamlin, I, at least one guy, you know, you think one uncle that went, went astray, one uncle that just got out of prison, looked at Damar, this new one, and said, that's, that's not my cousin. And came out and said that. Then maybe well, I believe that's not him, but no well, crackhead uncle has come out yet. 
Before they say it, though, they might end up with a shotgun hole in their chest hanging from a tree commit suicide. So, yeah, you never know. Well, Nick, I got to go, man. I I, got to go make videos for Commutube. Yeah, I'm not going to – I don't think I'm going to stream this thing until 7 p.m., man. I I just – because I could walk away and just leave it up, but I'm going to constantly be checking it and stuff. And it's just – I didn't understand that this was like a seven-hour hearing. Send people over to Badlands Media. They can read Q-Drops, multitask. Badlands Media is streaming it. I'll put a link in the the chat. But I – I really just wanted to go live today one more time before I go on my little vacation here. Those of you guys that don't know, I'm going to be gone all next week. All going, next week. He's going to Jamaica. Yes. It's, Funny, it's, the person it's, that it's, sold me my couches was Jamaican. And she's Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, Jamaica's pretty cool. I went once when I was like one years old. It was like a, one of those vacations where... Your parents go and they bring the grandmother and the kids and you just stay in the uh, hotel with grandma. That ain't a vacation. That's, no. <laughs> they so, just brought grandma. So technically, I've never been because I don't remember. They just remember, They just brought grandma to babysit you, dude. They didn't care for you. <laughs> they just said, grandma, we're going to go have fun. Sit sit down at this hotel with this wolf man. This yeah, they just, they just dipped out on me. But uh, so, yeah, but. You know, before you guys go over to Badlands Media, make sure to check out the links in the description to our sponsors, to our other social media. You know, you guys can go to MyPillow.com, enter promo code Nick, save a ton of money on the MyPillow 2.0. You can go to uh, PrepareWithNickMoSeater.com. And right now, there's actually a pretty cool deal going on. You got, a, you know, $200 worth of gifts that come with the three-month emergency food supply, you, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. And it's particularly cool if you like to go camping. You know, you got your uh, you got your emergency folding stove. You got canned heat and cooking fuel, stainless steel, uh, just all kinds of stuff, man. It's actually a pretty damn good value, and it's only for a limited time. So go to preparewiththinkmostheater dot com, and also go to Behizzy on Rumble. Subscribe to Behizzy on Rumble. And what else do you want to plug? Yeah, dude, I've just been having fun making videos. Surprisingly, they're getting decent views on Rumble, like higher than they've ever been. So I'm I'm, I'm having fun with videos on Rumble. Uh, I'll get back to the live streams, but I'm just figuring out the videos. I just love making them. Um, based Hizzy, uh, I had to make another YouTube channel. Um, uh, Don George was shadow banned. I, YouTube sent me an email saying, ah. Oh, it's not shadow banned. You're you're just not cool. Your, your videos. It's normal <laughs> to be getting. It's normal to be getting no recommendations to non-subscribers. Based hizzy on Commutube, but you know I I'm still I'm still I'm still going back to my toxic ex. Maybe she'll love me this time around. You know. So based hizzy on. Nah, Comitube. man. I don't know how you can put yourself through it again. I don't nah, know. Nick, I, After I, I got banned again, man, I just you know got so it, you depressed. Know you know what it is? I. It's giving me like. Just a love for videos, I, I and it also activates like bigger creativity for me because you got to remember, I've been making videos since I was twelve, dude, or ten, ten even. So I've, it's I've like three years. I feel like you, yeah, three years. So for me, like video making is, you know, I, I love, I love, I love that moment, and I, I, I like uploading uh, all. I, I like uploading everywhere. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm uploading on TikTok now, doing shorts, enjoying, it. and I'm also a nerd. So yeah, man, I 
it's not me putting myself through anything. It's just me allowing myself. To have yeah, fun. but I just I I love the YouTube platform, man. Like, just getting back on there for a month or two, it just made me realize that Rumble has a long way to go, man. Because the the ease, it's not just the audience; it's the ease and convenience. Like, you know, I could pull out my phone, click go live, boom, I'm live. I I, I could I can. I don't have to put up a preview and all this, all this crazy stuff, but, um, well, let's be honest here. Rumble won't catch up in, in the next five years. Uh, because I mean, in order for Rumble to cap, catch up, YouTube has to stand still. Even if YouTube bans every single conservative, I said that. I wouldn't, huh? I said that. Right. And I took it from you. So you, I know. And I want you to acknowledge that. Right. You said it. I mean, YouTube would have to stand still and say, Oh, catch up. They're constantly evolving every day, like you said. They're so. evolving at a quicker pace than Rumble is evolving too, by 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 like a thousand to one margin. Like, I mean, Rumble, that's actually, how many engineers they have compared to Rumble? So a thousand to one. So it'll be they'll be exponentially ahead of Rumble in five years. Ah, uh, so but, but that that's it's good that you know I'm I'm posting the videos on Rumble now too because they're getting views, man. I I I texted the CEO of Rumble. Said, dude, what'd you add? What button did you click? Because my videos are getting more views than they ever have on Rumble. If, if look, I, I always come back to this. I always remember this. Okay, I, look, I blew up on YouTube largely because I was talking about subjects that YouTube doesn't allow. That's part of why I blew up on YouTube in the first place, and I was able to take an audience over to another platform. Enough people that like. If you had told me when I first started making videos to at most like 36 people, Mm -hmm. if you had told that version of myself that two years from now, you'll have a live show where you're regularly getting between five, 10,000 views, I would have been ecstatic. I would have been, I would have been over, over the moon. I would have been like, wow, are you serious? I'm actually going to be able to, you know, reach people and make a difference and blah, blah, blah. But it's because. I experienced a brief moment in time where, where, where you know where the views were in the millions. That it's like it's hard. It's let's. It's like once you've been to the once you've been to the VIP room, it's hard to enjoy the rest of the club. You know yeah, what I mean? Once you get that filet mignon from that four or five star restaurant, you don't want to go to McDonald's no more. Yeah, but that's just a lack of that's a lack of gratitude on my part. You know, and I, yeah, I, yeah, I always yeah. think about that, and I always remember that. Not only that, but those people out there that were willing to jump ship and go to another platform, those are the actual people that when you talk about making a difference, right. those are the ones that when when you were when you were saying call your representative, email your representative, they were blah, the blah, ones blah, doing that. Those, those were the ones. Yeah, they were the ones doing that, clicking all the links, going to populist revolt. So yeah, you, you have to appreciate like that core and never you know underestimate their ability to be there. Like everyone watching this, you're all conspiracy theorists like us. (laughs) You're sitting here with your tinfoil hats hats on and you're the reason we keep doing this. You're the reason we keep going. We keep, you know, making content. Not that we don't have the ambition of seeing this country better, but we wouldn't have that same ambition if we had five views. Like if I posted a video and no one watched it, I, I wouldn't be enthusiastic. Let's just say to post another one, exposing election integrity it's like a it's a reciprocal relationship so 
we hope by, you know, sitting here for two hours, three hours, as Nick has, and posting a hearing that we are able to, you know, give you what you want. And because no one else is doing this, you don't see, you know, Fox News doing this. The only other network that's bigger than us doing this is one, Badlands Media and uh, RSBN. So there's a very fringe minority of, you know, creators that are willing, you know, to do this. And that's because you guys are so amazing, which is why when Nick says, go to my pillow, you know, if you haven't bought with my pillow, use that promo code woke cedar, woke cedar, wolfman. Is it really Nick? They have no other Nicks to give you their promo code. Hey, what can I say? What can I say? If, a, if Nick was taken, I would have went with Wilf, but, you know. Okay, okay. But subscribe to Based Hizzy on Commutube. Based Hizzy right here. B-A-S-E. I, I have turned into Neil Johnson, but. All right, Nick. Thanks for having me on. I got to go. Eat thanks for ice. jumping on. Thank you guys for tuning in. And remember. You're going to end it? What do you mean? Dude, you said you're not going to go the whole way. I'm thinking, oh, you're going to wait. Just put like a banner. Oh, I'll be back at 3 p.m. Eastern. And then bring the stream back and just not care about it. You can do it, Nick. I th- but then I have to keep, tra- I mean, then I have to keep track of everything and whatnot. You can do it, Nick. No, I think I'm going to shut it down. Uh, I'm going to shut it down. All right. Nick doesn't love you guys. You guys got Badlands Media, baby. Badlands Media. Yeah. They're covering these things. Go read some cube drops. Sending everybody over there. All, all right. right. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And uh, remember, I'll be gone all next week, baby. And I'm going to enjoy it. I'm not going to think about Klaus Schwab, Joe Biden falling upstairs. You will. No. Let's be honest. Yeah, I probably will. I'll, I'll be a little active on Telegram, maybe a couple posts a day. So make sure to follow me over there at Wilf Moseter. And, of course, go to nickmoseter.locals.com. If you guys really, if you guys really uh, see any value in what we're doing over here, the probably the best way to support is to go to nickmoseter.locals.com. And become a supporter over there. And that would be freaking awesome. Anyways, thanks for watching. And I will see you next time. When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill. Generally, you have to use multiple products that target belly fat differently to manage excess weight around the stomach. Some products may focus on abdominal exercises or dietary changes, while others might focus on boosting metabolism or controlling cravings. But believe it or not, I may have found a solution that removes the need for juggling through multiple weight management products. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviews back up the notion that Belly Trim is not only a breakthrough in a bottle, but that it also removes the need for us to use countless diet pills and fat-burning supplements. But there's more. If you place your order for Belly Trim now, you'll also receive 51% off free VIP live health and fitness coaching for life, two free new ebooks titled Top 10 Foods That Burn Belly Fat, and Top 10 Exercises to Reduce Belly Fat, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee, and last but not least, free shipping. Simply go to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's www.trimwithus.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. Talk to enough people, and you'll soon realize nearly everyone's shocked at their recent electricity bills. Some studies reveal energy costs have skyrocketed by as high as 60% in as little as two years. That's why tens of thousands are installing this magical little device from SavePowerBills.com to help slash their energy bills. This sophisticated gadget stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your appliances and electronics. Simply plug it into your home's 
Homes Wall Outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this device is one of the most efficient ways to save money while beating the greedy power companies. But there's more. If you order now, you'll also receive 65% off, fast shipping within the USA, hassle-free returns, and last but not least, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee. Just go to SavePowerBills.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's SavePowerBills.com. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Just recently, a politician was carjacked by three armed attackers outside his home in Washington, D.C. This comes several months after another politician was assaulted in the elevator of her building. Between mass shootings, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjackings, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight has awed people with a wonderful design and massive light output. On top of an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, it boasts powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope cutter, siren, and much more. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this flashlight is the latest and greatest in the EDC market. But there's more. If you place your order for the Fighter Flare flashlight now, you'll also receive 66% off, free express shipping, and last but not least, a 100% lifetime guaranteed replacement. Simply go to www.fighterflare.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. www.fighterflare.com. Order now.